Hello, welcome to the Embers Podcast. I'm your host, Ernesto Llerena Montejano, and this podcast is recorded in Boyle Heights, California. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 13. Today's guest will be my friend and uh, amazing printmaker, Daniel Gonzalez. So uh, yeah, before we get in talking about today's episode, I just want to say um, I apologize. I've been trying to really be consistent about the podcast and it's been, and I've kind of failed at that lately. It's like, it's been, I think the last time I put one out was in June 26. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a while. I've been really, really busy. I was, I took uh me and me and my girl Dolores, we took my parents to Tulum for uh, like about a week, and then I came back and I was just slammed with work. It's just one thing after another. So, you know, I'm really trying to make uh, the podcast a priority where where I'm constantly putting out episodes. You know, one time, uh, you know, at least once a week. But it's you know, work gets in the way, and then you know, it's it's um, I have to I have to. Uh, come through on those on those promises of, of working on these uh on these contracts so and you know on other projects but uh yeah i promise i'm going to try to be way more consistent here um so yeah let's get into the 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 show today the sorry the the this episode with daniel so i first met my friend daniel at um at artwork letterpress in 2007 there was a loteria there's a Loteria uh, art show that my, my good friend and mentor, Richard Duardo, had gotten me into. And I met him, and he had a really cool, like, leather, leather like, you know, kind of satchel bag. And uh, and I saw him I saw, I saw saw him coming in with it. I'm like, dude, that's a cool bag. And he told me about it. And he, you know, we kind of became friends then. And then I started, like, seeing his work. And I had already seen some of his work because I had been over at, La Mano Press, uh, Artemio Rodriguez's shop here in downtown LA, next to where, you know, next to where Richard Spots is is still at actually, and so I had already I've been familiar with his work and um, and yeah, then you know we became friends and then you know I quickly realized how much Daniel knows about history, how much, you know, how he views his work is really important to me because he's really about understanding his lineage as a you know. Chicano or Mexican or Mexican American printmaker and like you know the the long history we have as as uh as uh you know he calls it uh, craftsmen you know as as people that make um political messages or just cultural messages through the printmaking medium um but yeah this is a really really fun episode it's one of my favorite ones so far uh just because you know I've known the brother for a long time but then you sit down and you do an interview and you learn so much more than than you know than I knew so you know he's actually from Boyle Heights uh, actually from here so that's that's um not not that common uh, <laughs> I mean in uh in the arts I guess a lot of the people are from like other like neighboring neighboring areas um 
But yeah, we're going to talk about how he became a printmaker, how he got that journey started. A lot of his philosophies, be it politically, uh, socially, or, you know, different, you know, artistically, what his philosophies are. Um, talk about, you know, him doing a solidarity project in Mexico City with, you know, um, representing like LA people, supporting the the parents from the Ayotzinapa struggle, you know, and, uh, you know, we're going to talk about his uh, Papel Picado um, series that he did started last year that, you know, really, really popular. He said it kind of took over his career for a while. He just had to do a lot of that. And then, you know, we're going to we're going to definitely talk about, uh, you know, DNA tests. And, you know, I recently got mine. I don't I don't know how to feel about it. It's like it's more of a fun thing for me. I'm not taking it super serious, but it's it does bring it makes you it makes you reflect on yourself in a, a little bit of a different way. But it's really to me, it's a fun thing. And, and they could be, you know, there could be errors in it or it isn't. I don't know. I don't think it's 100 percent accurate, but I think that. uh whatever it's worth it's it's a fun kind of activity for me and and i like discussing it with other folks i think it's i think it's like a good uh icebreaker a lot of times um and then we talk a little bit about about uh how he how he put uh political imagery around dapple around uh standing rock at uh at the morrissey show uh earlier last year and so yeah, it's going to be a fun episode, and let's get right into it. Thank you for listening. Hey, everyone, hanging out here in Boyle Heights with... Uh, my friend Daniel Gonzalez, who happens to be from Boyle Heights and, you know, amazing artist, printmaker, historian, I would call him. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Ernesto, how are you? Not bad, man. Sorry, it's uh, this morning was a little bit rough. Uh, yeah, if you want to get a little bit yeah. like, like uh, adjusted like this a little bit better. Okay. And then bajalo poquito. There you go. Boom. All right. Perfect. So, um, yeah, man, um, it's good to, to hang out again. It's been... Uh, You've had a pretty busy. busy yeah, I think we've summer. all been busy, right? Kind of me. I was really, really busy from like January to about, you know, the end of May. Yeah. But then I just started chilling hard. I love it. Um, <laughs> I had, I, I'm trying I had to get there. I'm trying to get there. Well, I did 15 months straight with four days off, and then yeah. I burned the fuck out. And then Damn. I was I was trying to work on shit, and I was I sucked. Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't know. I'm always kind of look down on everything i do but i was really looking down at the shit i did mm -hmm. and uh i was like i gotta stop um but yeah man how uh how was it growing up here in boyle heights and then seeing it change so much and there's you know such a strong battle right now over gentrification you know what is how do you feel about all this well let me see dang that's a big one well <laughs> i mean just to start off like growing up where, where, where did i grow up i grew up on the corner of fourth and chicago i was born to two parents from zacatecas uh you know, they they were from the same town. They met each other in El Monte. Uh, they got married in they, El Monte here in LA, or just in the Monte. Oh, no, 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 El Monte here in in, in okay. uh, SoCal in Southern California. Like my yeah. mom used to work at a restaurant. My dad was a tortillero. You know, nice. this is a novela romance. He would like deliver tortillas. My mom would write him notes <sighs> on her on her uh, uh, order tickets. And I actually found one of those order tickets, like you know, one of those like love lo lo love notes. My what mom. What did it say? You remember what it said? I don't want to know. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I it just was... kind of glanced at it and I was like, yeah, that's private. That's that's from oh, okay. my mom, you know? Like, I thought it was going to be super, like... like it yeah, was romantic. Just, I remember, yeah. like, reading the first part and I was like, yeah, no, 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 like, put that shit down. Like, you know, that's, like, private. You know, like, you don't want to know everything. You yeah, know? yeah. And, that's hilarious. Uh, they ended up, uh, you know, being married. I'm their firstborn. And uh, they moved into a... Uh, uh, like a studio apartment on the corner of Fourth and Chicago, above a liquor store. So uh, my first, very, very first memory of Bull Heights, like specifically, uh, dude, it was like I was like uh, four years old, and uh, I remember someone like uh, becoming uh, overdosed on heroin. Like I remember a Cadillac pulling up, and uh, the the woman got out. She went to the liquor store. And the dude was inside the car. And when she came out, she just let out a scream and, like, pulled him out of the car. And he just stuck to his arm. And then the sirens, like, came out. And my mom checks on me. And she's like, you know, mijo, donde estas? You know, what are you doing? And I was on the windowsill looking down. And I don't know if you see those bay windows. The apartment's still there, the apartment building. Yeah. But they stick out into the street. Yeah. So I had a real good view. And I was playing with, like, some, some like, toy cars or something. I was looking down. And I'm like, I'm here, mom, I'm here. And she's like, oh, okay, because she heard the sirens. But, man, that was, like, my first, like, specifically, like, my first memory of Bull Heights was seeing seeing that go down. And then after that, you know, I mean, I have good memories, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we walks at the park, the characters in the neighborhood, you know. Uh, and we all gave them, like, nicknames. El Grande was, like, this huge guy. He looked like a giant, you know. That's funny. And he would walk by and he was like, yeah, you know, my, my dad would joke, like, that's going to be Daniel's padrino right there. That's funny. <laughs> and he would always say hello. And then, you know, this other dude, I call him pirate because, you know, he would go around and uh, and just say hi to folks. You know, people would say hi to each other and greet each, <clears throat> greet each other. And it felt like a really uh, close community, really uh, uh, like people knew each other. People said hello to each other. People were polite. Uh, people like cared about each other's well-beings. They would chat. You know, they would, uh, I mean, it was beautiful. And then over the years, it started not being that way. Yeah. When you do know? you think, when do you think that started happening when it got, you know, dude, not that way? Uh, well, I mean, I left, I left Bull Heights when I was 18. Hmm. What year was that? You think? 98. 98. I, just, I just put an age on my, on myself, right? That's fine. Do the math. It's okay. <laughs> I, li- I like, uh, time references yeah. because people get to know. Like, yeah, just better referencing. Yeah, so, oh, well, so this this took place, uh, my first memory was like 83, 84. Mm-hmm. And then I moved away to college in 98. And I spent five years, around five years in the Bay Area. And then when I came back, it was like 2002. Uh, I still started noticing, you know, noticing what was happening in Echo Park. And after seeing how things were going down in the Mission, in yeah. the Mission District in San Francisco... It started looking all too familiar, the same patterns, but in Echo Park. Mm-hmm. And I remember having conversations with people about it. And then like my concern started going out. I was like, well, if it's happening in Echo Park. It's going to happen in my neighborhood. You know? Yeah. What do you think, uh, like prior, when you were growing up here, I mean, I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but uh, how was the crime just growing up? Was there a lot of it? or, or oh. and, and there was a lot of organizing from like the mothers yeah. in the oh, neighborhood, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I... Uh, from what as a kid dude i remember a lot of drug use and that's because in the corner where i was at there was two public telephones there was one on on, uh, fourth street right by the liquor store 
and then it was a, one across the street by the church. So, and then there was an alley right between the church and the the school, the elementary school parking lot. Mm-hmm. So people would do their pickups. If 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 the police came down, they just run into the alley and they, you know you, easy getaway. So I remember like you know seeing needles. I remember like little baggies on the floor, like just constant, constant yeah. like drug addiction, uh, gang violence. I mean, it, like walking around there was like walking through a minefield. But you know, I live there. Yeah. And, and and these people aren't just gang members or yeah. drug addicts. They're they're people with lives, and you know they have you know like you get to know them, and then you realize that hey, you know what? You're just like a step from becoming that if you make the wrong choices yeah. or if you grow up in the wrong and it's also environment, such right? a small yeah, and it's also such a small percentage of the community that's like caught up in that system and like. Mm-hmm. You know, movies or, you know, certain movies like Blood and Blood Out or all these, you know, stereotypical right, right, right. like Chicano gangster movies, they they kind of romanticize that gang life and they make it seem like people that aren't from Mexican neighborhoods, they they, they start believing that everyone's like that there. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe like a very small percentage, but there's a lot of, you know, there's people fucking nerding out inside like on video games sure, and there's, there's people doing other things. And I think that that's that's something that I always, I always let people know, you know, there's, yeah, the shit's going down on the streets, but there's also kids nerding the fuck out and reading yeah. and shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's people like you and I, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, fuck. I, it was always, I, I was like super into like WWF and shit as a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. that was my shit one. There was like shit going on off on the corner, but I was watching Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold. You know? <laughs> Roddy, Roddy Piper. <laughs> exactly. I got, I got to meet him before he died. Wow. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so you, um, I remember hearing stories of like, because the way that they present gentrification sometimes, it's like we're going to, like the the developers or the city or, you know, the, the money, the people that control the money, they're saying we're going to clean up an area, but they don't, they're not really going to clean it up. They're no. just going to push people away. And the thing about it is, is, you know, the progress I've heard, this is the stories that I've been told, the progress that's happened here as far as like, fighting or, or not fighting but you know being able to heal some of that gang violence has been by community organizing that's right, right. and uh yeah if you if you want to tell us about that you know i'm sure you saw some of that firsthand yeah yeah i mean mothers of east la i remember those protests i remember the protests uh against the prison that they wanted to build at the old sears building oh wow dude yeah. i didn't know that oh yeah yeah they wanted to they wanted to build a prison in that in that lot like this is like it would have been right up the block of the street yeah it was right up the street i mean and they look at the area i mean if you look at a map of la you realize that there's a reason why all the freeways are here in this, oh yeah you know in this area and uh for me like uh i went to salesian schools and they did a lot of outreach uh the salesian uh youth center right there on breed in chicago was like a kind of like a neutral zone and mm-hmm. i used to go there and shoot pool man i used to go shoot the pool from people from like white friends people from big hazard people from vatos osoro tiny Everyone was cool Stone. there everybody was cool because they wanted a, like a space to just get along and of course there's beef and fights but that's where I got to know a lot of these people and realized like, Hey, you know they're what? Just people, they're, yeah. they're, they're people with problems. And you know, like I'm just, uh, you know, I'm not any better than or above. Just had any different circumstances, just yeah. different circumstances. And that's where I got to know, like really my neighborhood, you know? And, and, uh, to this day, you know, it's just kind of like, I, and that's, and that's the thing that's, that's the difference. Uh, I don't see that anymore. Like people are moving in and it's like, well, those people, yeah, and, and they, you know. they don't, they don't really want to <laughs> integrate and become part of it. Yeah. Um, 
right now you mentioned Mothers of East LA. I'm I'm uh, I'm curious. I, uh, you're the one that actually told me about that, and then I've heard. I had heard that it was a lot of community push to to be able to you know heal some of this violence. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us more about Mothers of East LA and what what were they protesting at that time? Well, Mothers of East LA were, were protesting the, the the gang violence and drug addiction that was that was happening in the neighborhood, and they were based out of Santa Seven, mm-hmm. the the Catholic school over on Soto and uh, Soto and Whittier. And this is like a long time ago. You're really jogging my memory here, but I remember they were protesting things like things like the prison that they wanted to build they were protesting wow. dude they were protesting the battery recycling plant the exit plant where is that at uh they used to be down the street from so the too. acid yeah oh, the, no the uh the uh the lead like oh shit. heights was, is under was under a big cloud of lead because of the battery recycling plant well the water here the pipes are all fucked up too you know uh dude i i, I well for me, like I grew it's up, it's not in, like, Detroit, but it's it's not it's they're not clean either. Yeah, I'm sure there's issues with the water, like. But for me, like personally, like I grew up with like severe asthma, like, yeah. And I was like always baffled because it stopped when I moved away from Bow Heights. I moved away to the, the Bay air area, is rough, huh? And it was just kind of like that was it. It was like that lead cloud that I lived under, and then and the just freeways the traffic, and man. the traffic, and you know, like I was like literally. It was like felt like breathing through a straw. Like it felt like I was drowning from the age of like five, like my until like 15. It started like going away a little bit, mm-hmm. but it really went away when I went to the barrier for like a couple of years and it came back. Yeah. Um, and it completely like resided. I get it like once in a while now, but that really affected like my childhood because I couldn't get involved in sports really. Yeah. So then that turned me into kind of like a, like a bookworm, you yeah. know? Well, I mean, it kind of, <laughs> it, it puts you on a path that you're on now. Yes. So yeah. you're saying Mothers of East LA, they were protesting that battery uh, and they got him yeah, out? Excited. Well, no, 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 no. See, they they just shut down that plant like, what, a year ago? Oh, they're still around. Mother- the, See. Uh, well, the it, it was, um, I forget how it, it ended up being that it got shut down. Um, I don't recall it right now, but it just got shut down like, uh, I want to say like a year or two years Where is ago. it at? Where was it at? It's like around, uh, it's either like Washington Boulevard or Olympic, but it's in that area. It's really close by, but it's called the Exide by, uh, Battery Plant. You can look it okay. up. My memories is not just not right uh, there now, but it was really close by. I remember looking at a map from a study that they got done of the neighborhood of the air quality, and they pinpointed that as one of the main sources of pollution in Bull Heights, and that yeah. was this battery plant. And the Union Pacific over here too. Yeah, huh? Union Pacific. I mean, you got you got you got all kinds of things, but you know things don't just happen like that. They get built over oh, a yeah. period of time because of policy, and uh, groups like uh, you know like the Mothers of East LA, like uh, you know, have been protesting these things for many many years. You know, and uh, yeah, man, it's important. But it, it, you know, like we have a long le- legacy of that. You know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't. It's not like. There's a reason people are out on the streets like protesting this stuff because really the environment we grow up in was constructed not for us to succeed. It was constructed for us just to be maintained there and yeah. in a certain way. You and know, just things be, just don't happen. Yeah, and just serve pretty much the bourgeois, you know. Um, you know, I want to really get into printmaking early on, you know. Um, sure. 
I um, I met you actually at Aardvark Letterpress there in 2007. There was a show that we had. It was a Loteria show, and it was all of us. And, and I got to meet you there. I remember you having a really cool like leather bag, and that's oh, what yeah. started our conversation. <laughs> you were kind of funny. You were like, it's just a bag. I'm like, whatever, dude. I was all geeking out on that shit. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I was, it was funny. Yeah. No, you, you, were, you were cool from the start. And then, and then I put two and two together. I was like, oh, you used to work uh, at La Mano, and I had been there before, and I had seen some of your work. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, let's, let's get into how you started printmaking and how you, you know, became an artist. Wow. Um, I don't know. See, the thing, I don't, how I became an artist. Were you drawing I, since you were a little kid? Yeah. I mean, like I said, like I had asthma growing up, yeah. so I would, you know, like I kind of like what did, you know, couldn't do sports. So I started going inward into my I tapped into like my own creativity, you oh, know, yeah. and then just started drawing, started reading, um, and then my mom nurtured that, you know, like she really, really nurtured that, and then uh, what ended up happening was uh, when I was, was it, how old was I? Like twelve, I think. I got a chance to uh, to enroll in uh, this program called Academia de Arte Yepes, and I started becoming exposed uh, more to art. And like a studio environment with George Yepes. George Yepes. You were twelve. I was twelve. Yeah. Fuck man, that's amazing. Yeah, and it I kind of like you know I kind of like drew my focus in, and I kind of like you know I I saw a lot of the things that were involved around art, not just art making, but how art gets used by uh, politicians. There's a lot of politicians coming in and out of the academy because ultimately they want to photo op with a bunch of kids from the neighborhood. To yeah. push their own agendas forward, of and I was aware of that, you know. Like I was, you know, I was, I, I, and that kind of like, you know, turned on my 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 kind of like political awareness. I'm being critical, yeah. And and started, you know, when I got older, I started becoming like more critical of it. Um, but I could pinpoint that experience kind of like setting me on the road. Even though you know, like I wasn't the best artist. I'm I kind of out of the program. I think that's I I, you know, well, I uh, went on that path. And I have a problem calling myself an artist, you know? Why is that? Um, I don't know, dude. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, I think, I feel like artist is what people call you. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Like, yeah. you know, that's how they identify me. But I'm just, you know, I consider myself a craftsman more than more now than ever because of those things that I do. Right. Uh, printmaking involves like so many different, there's so many different aspects to it. You know, there's like, there's a, a, a huge technical side. And yeah. You know, I'd rather, you know, personally, like I'd identify myself as like a craftsman or like an image maker, yeah, a storyteller, visual storyteller, but artists, um, you think it sounds super pretentious? It just doesn't fit <laughs> for me. Yeah. It, like for me, it doesn't fit. And, uh, and, and, and art is for other people to, to kind of like, you know, to put, attach that label to it. Yeah. You know? Like I don't sit down and be like, oh, today I'm going to make art like i'm like dude i'm today i sit down and say today i'm going to create an image and i'm going to tell a story and there's a lot of things happening in the background i don't sit down and say well i'm going to contribute to the legacy of yeah this long but tradition think, of western art i think you know? um i don't know i mean i feel i i understand what you're saying but i think in my mind just being an artist is a very like i i identify as an artist you know because mm -hmm. i think of uh like I have angst of whatever is bothering me. And then through the arts, through being like a, you know, and I'm a craftsman to a degree, but like I sit down and I write 
concepts and I come up with ideas and I, and I figure out whatever's bugging me, whatever's bugging my soul, my spirit or my mental shit. Like I'm going to make something and turn that angst into something that could heal me. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's the art. Um, and everything, anything has art to it. You know, you gotta, you got someone that's a chef and they're creating they're, they're like if it's just working like doing a line like I was a line cook that's one thing but then when they go home and they're creating their own recipes and they're they're studying the ingredients and and uh, coming up with with some kind of uh, of narrative to that specific dish like that's taking that shit to the artistic level you know and mm-hmm. and I feel like I mean I can see why it sounds sometimes pretentious but to me you know the history of of art is you know it's got working class roots from the very beginning you know and you know, the elites have always figured out a way to, to control it because they yeah. understand that it becomes a way of, uh, like art can ha- like set people's minds free and they can allow them to be critical, you know? And I think that, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy identifying as an artist. But yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, I look at it, it's like, okay, well, who's putting that label on art? You know, yeah. who, who's, who's labeling it as art? You know, like I, I, for me, it's like Eduardo Galeano, like he's a, uh, really for me like a great writer and he said like uh in one of his books he's uh he, he says he writes uh you know uh and i'm gonna paraphrase i'm really mess up like this quote but he says like you know uh people indigenous indigenous people in the americas don't create art they create folk art yeah. and others other people create artworks like they don't have yeah. a language they have a dialect other people so it's just kind of like breaking that for me, it's like, a, a, I don't know, I kind of have a certain level of ease and there's no criticism on yeah. you or other people who identify as artists. This is for me personally, like I have trouble, yeah, I, understand. I have a, a problem with the term because it's such a loaded term and there's so much, so many things to peel back from it. Um, I feel more comfortable identifying as kind of like a craftsman, storyteller, uh, uh, metiche. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also good you know? for us to take up space in that because yeah, in, in the American narrative or in the European narrative, it's always like, you know what is considered high art you right, know right. like blue chip like you know fine art paintings oil oil drawings you know uh, oh sorry oil paintings pastels um you know watercolor and then you know i'm I'm over here making stencils with collage and they're like that shit ain't art but for me it's like well to me it is man like you yeah. don't have you don't have to validate it well, like it's special yeah to me it, this is how i express myself and i think exactly. that it's uh i i just i enjoy taking space in areas where they're like you can't be part of this club and i'm like right I'm like, yeah, I, I can't be part of the club, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I never cared for the club. <laughs> well, not in that club, but I'm just saying like, you know, I, I don't mean it in that way. Like, I don't care about sh- being a part of these things, but it's um the idea mm-hmm. of being like, I, I, I think I consider the club like in a very, you're part of the club as far as like all we do yeah, is like art. it or not. No, yeah. no. In just general, yeah. like we, we don't have like, I'm not saying like being part of the social lights and hanging out. I don't mean that like one and every 100 artists get to do this art oh yeah for full time like i don't do anything but make art whether it's design or whether whether whatever it is everything i do is art related a lot and, and that's a privilege because i have friends that are like amazing artists and they still got to go and you know they're working mm-hmm. at they got sometimes art related jobs right but I, I have a lot of artist friends that have just they have they have a regular like nine to five and you know that's uh that's that there's nothing wrong with that and they're keeping on doing their thing but where we're at it's like you know we're super privileged to be able to be only make art and that's like a very fortunate uh position to be in and for so so um i feel like 
that's what I mean. Like that, that club, you know, like right, right, I want right, to right. be, I, I want to take space in that. Cause I want more yeah. artists of color to be a part of this. You yeah. Know? Like, I don't know. I, I didn't mean like the fucking blue chip, like fine art world where right. everyone's like has their noses up. Like, I don't care about that shit, but I love the fact that I don't do anything but make do art related shit, you know? Yeah. No, like, I, I mean, I just quit my day job. Like what's going to be like, Two years ago i forgot it's the best day right <laughs> yeah it was the best day i mean it, i mean it was scary as hell that first year was like you know roller coaster but then it's kind of like you realize like um that that uh you can make a living at this stuff you know i'm uh i'm able to hang out with my parents more and and, and you know and, oh, yeah. and see after you know kind of like see after like their well-being you know try you know uh, I'm I'm barely taking care of myself now, but I mean, as long as things are getting better, you know, I feel like I'm on the right path. And I, I mean, and you pointed something out like that privilege, you know, it's it's uh, I think about it every day, you know, like uh, I'm mindful about the space that I'm taking in. And I always like, consider like, who could I bring up with me? You know, there's yeah. a lot of women that that, that, that yeah. aren't represented within the world that we take space in and we got to help bring them up, too. And uh, and, you know it's it's uh it's a minefield <laughs> yeah that's kind of the even with this podcast you know like i i've tried to keep it one and one like you know identified yeah. male identified you know people that identify as male and then people that identify as female like one and one and one and one you know right. and like i still like i look at my lineup and i'm like you know i need to i need to have more queer folks on there i need to have like trans folks on here i need to have like black folks mm -hmm. on and so i just right now it's kind of like i'm going I'm, as I'm going, I'm, I'm like, I'm crit criticizing myself and I'm writing like notes, like, you know, yeah. I got to reach out to this person, but it's, it's constantly doing work, you know, yeah. it's constantly oh, yeah, trying yeah. to be aware and it's not easy and I'm sure I'm going to do mistakes, but it's, you know, yeah, you're, you're, it is what it is. Like we're in a privileged place, but I always, I really, I appreciate I really appreciate being able to do just art because anywhere else I'd be fucking, I'd be a shitty employee anywhere else. Yeah. And I would be useless and like I wouldn't really be uh, like a great contributor, you know, I'd just be I hated every regular job I had. You know? Yeah. So it's like there is no there is no place for us but this. You know? Yeah. I mean, to, you know, I shattered my parents dreams. <laughs> yeah. What do <laughs> they become, want you to be well, a corporate lawyer? Uh, you know, something big like, you know, like when immigrant parents have a oh, yeah. firstborn. They have a lot of expectations. They think like, oh, man, you know, this kid, we want him to have the best opportunities the, I mean, that's the reason they're here, right? Yeah. That's the reason. And then I, they come out and I'm like, ah, oh, mom, I'm going to be an artist, you know? Yeah. And they're like, ah, oh, mijo, not even a union, like a union job, plumber, electrician. Like, yeah. a, you know, you could hook us up. You could hook up your family. Like, I'm like, no, nah, mom, I like, I like, you know, yeah, making stories and drawing. And I like talking to people and reading and, and exploring that world and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I know that, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thank and I'm thankful to my, my parents. You know, because, you know, to this day, they're, they're, they're my biggest supporters. Like, Hell yeah. They don't look down at what I do and they're very proud, you know, about of what, what I do, you know. And, you know, my, 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 my I'm the oldest of five. So, so uh, other, other, my other siblings like fulfilled like their hopes and aspirations. Well, the American was, dream, right? Well, not necessarily the American dream of just being, but what you know, they considered it. Yeah. Like, like just like what they consider like success and a good life. And like, I think, you know, it has a lot of facets. And I think each one of my brothers, like, and my sister are fulfilling that for my parents. And I think at the end of the day, uh, they're, they're very happy. They feel very happy and they feel very blessed. 
you know, I feel very unfortunate because I saw the poverty my parents came from visit, visiting, you know, Mexico often and going to uh, to see uh, the town and the, the countryside. You know, I didn't grow up with um, a romanticized vision of the countryside. I, I saw how hard it, it was. rough, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Like, the saddest sound in the world you over here is rain on a tin roof. It's yeah. like, and, and that's, you know. It's funny. That's what that's called right there, that piece. Yeah. Rain on a tin roof, and it's in, it's by Yataka Fields. Uh-huh. And and it's, uh, do you see the, the little I roof? I see the tin roof, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's crazy you mentioned that. So yeah. I have no, this no. painting in my studio by Yataka Fields. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just kind of letting people know that are yeah. listening. You know what? Right now, that what you're talking about, parental support. Like my parents, same thing. They had my back early on, and my dad really he he was really cool with me being an artist because he comes from painting cars and and yeah. in his industry, the guys that were doing the like the custom work, yeah. the the pinstriping, the airbrushing flames, and all that you know custom work, they were doing really well. So he said, "There's a place for you know an art artist." Yeah. So they were supportive. But that's what I always tell, you know, I let young parents know, like, just be, if you nurture someone's art, like, if so, someone that's an artist, right, like, if a little kid's, like, showing, you know, some kind of artistic uh, interest, then mm-hmm. just let them run with it, because it's, uh, it's, it's just going to mean so much later, and right. I had so many friends that the, the kids, my friends were artistic as fuck, they would draw, they would paint, take photos, and the parents would just block that dream right. and they stand in the way of it. And it just, you know, it's not fair. Um, it's not fair for the kids. And it's also, but the parents, you know, a lot of times they were immigrant parents and they, they were like, we want you to do something that's going to be, that's going to be, you're going to be able to sustain your life and right. like take care of your family, you know? Yeah. But, but no, that's awesome. And I love to, to hear stories of like parents support just kind of blooming and, yeah, and I mean, uh, working out. They don't know? always understand it. Like there was, you know, my dad, you know, sometimes they're like, you know what, Mijo, I don't get it, but you're not in the street, like, you know, causing trouble. So I'm going to go with it. And my mom, my mom was the one that got it the most. She understood like, yeah, you know, the, the, what he's doing is special. Like, this is important. Um, and I think uh, regardless if your child um, becomes an artist or not, I think it's so important, dude. Like just, nurture, huh? just to nurture that creativity because its applications are 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 huge. I mean, I, I when I went to UCLA, I, I finished my education at UCLA. I took this amazing course called Structures Polyhedron Design, and they invited um, people from the art department to participate in this class. So to fulfill my science requirement, I applied for it, not knowing that it was like this like behavioral sciences uh, oh, yeah. uh, person, uh, Dr. James Gaed, and then Dr. Stephen Shine, who he's famous for mapping the neural connections of the the eye to the brain and in particular if you google this uh this chemical called clathrin he uh he he that was a big mystery to him he quit his research because it involved animals and he didn't like being cruel to animals and you know after a while he just like started digging into his soul but uh he realized that the chemical somehow changed between the neuroreceptor and then the the ocular nerve mm-hmm. to fit in and that was a big mystery to him and he realized it's, that the answer to that was the geometry and that the problem was that a lot of these folks in the sciences don't think in three dimensions because you look at a chemical like at, at a 
at a uh, the way that uh, chemicals are expressed in books are flat charts. Yeah. In reality, chemicals chemicals are like three dimensional molecular structures. Yeah. So he brought artists to help these guys Convey in the that. sciences. Yeah. Uh, 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 think differently about about those things, you know. So if your son or daughter wants to become a scientist, you know, or go into the sciences and they have this creative background and that ability to like, it's gonna things, help. It's gonna help. It's gonna make huge, you know, huge uh, uh, uh progress in their understanding understanding of the sciences. You know, and it will give them an advantage. Oh know? heck yeah. You know, like, and, and then the other thing that they did was include a woman in each group because they divide the yeah. class into groups. And he says, well, studies show that involving women in groups, actually the group excels because, the woman, yeah. you know. Keep them in check. Huh? Well, <laughs> women are, 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 I mean, I'm not trying to make generalizations, but uh, great organizers, multitaskers, yeah. they could like bring in all these different ideas and like really gel them together. Yeah, yeah. And it was an experiment. It was an experiment. It was an amazing course. And it gave me confidence, like, oh, wow, I could really do math without crying. Like, algebra yeah. and math, like, really brought me down because <laughs> I couldn't understand it. Yeah. The, but uh, after this class, like, yeah, the outcome was he discovered, like, a, 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 a fifth classification of, of, of shapes. Oh, that's amazing. Which hasn't, you know, a new discovery within geometry hasn't been done, I think, in the past 500 years in this guy. You know, with the research that he did, and then the class that he did, eventually published this uh, this paper, and this is back in 2015 that the paper came out. So, uh, but yeah, no, realizing that and seeing the importance of that kind of makes me realize, like, you know, the arts are like pivotal in any any discipline. Yeah, because it nurtures that side of you. Oh, for sure. I just wanted to clarify real quick oh, when, yeah, yeah. when I said like in check is like when like Standing Rock when we were out in Standing Rock like you know, having women be like the the leaders as far as like security or any kind of crisis management, it was perfect because sometimes dudes, they just let their testosterone like take over sure, and it just becomes a mess right away. And so that's what I mean by that. Like having, even like when I'm working on my, on my concepts, when I'm working, like I'll run it by a couple of like my women friends and say, what do you think? And they'll tell me, you know, maybe you're going a little bit too far on this thing, check that. And like, so and even just like like my relationship with my mom and my mm -hmm. and like my grandmothers, it's always been that kind of like I feel like they could check me before like the males in my family and like because like dudes will tend to kind of challenge each other a little bit more right. in a weird way, just ego or testosterone shit, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's yeah. very interesting of the way that like the way that art uh, art works with everything, and I think that this is my theory. I feel like that's there's always been the link of, of being creative and allowing your mind to be free and like, you know, daydreaming, uh, linked to being able to be critical. And when you're critical, you're more, you're just more successful at whatever, even in quote unquote capitalism. Right. And so I felt like the way that like the people that really like the, the elites in this country, they've always in a way they, they, they'll, they don't mind cutting arts programs for like poor neighborhoods. Cause they don't want those kids to become, uh, politicize later or become uh, critical thinkers but then if you go to beverly hills all those kids since they're little they grow up playing like grand piano or they have like some kind of jazz courses and that, yeah. they have everything's accessible for them and then they get a leg up and it's and it just always ends up like obviously we're not going to win the fucking rat race when we don't they don't give us access to being able to to have uh you know access to these programs that are going to help us develop our, our minds from a very young age you know no that's right um yeah 
I mean, and that's why for me, like, it's important to have, uh, uh, especially like, uh, there needs to be a presence in our neighborhood neighborhoods. Uh, the, the the presence of the arts needs to be, you know, in our neighborhoods. Big time, man. You know, because it's such a big. I mean, for me, the way I see, I'm a product of uh, of these community art programs. You know, like I didn't have the money big to go time, to uh, to art school. I mean, I got a really nice scholarship to go, and you know. And I appreciated my, my time there. And then I had a really nice scholarship to, to finish at UCLA. But in the in between times, what gave me my start was, you know, community arts programming. Which ones are some of those? Um, Self-help, one of them? Early on, uh, Mission Grafica. Like that was like in, my, the, in the mission in San and Francisco? Before, and before that, Academia de Arte Yepes was a free program, you know? Like yeah, that gave me access to, and that was funded by the city. You think, or oh yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, 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 well, they, they, there was like a lot of grants and a lot of like. Um, we need more of that. Yeah, yeah, we I do. Mean, it'd be cool if you were running some shit like that here, you know. Dude, I mean, if, you can handle those little kids. <laughs> I can't, dude. I have no fucking patience. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, kids. I, I, I like kids. You know, I like teaching them. I you're really good. Do. You're a great teacher. Because I could, man. I could, I could relate. I could relate to them being traviesos because I was a travieso, like. You know, like I, I remember I, 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 uh, I helped teach a, a course and continue uh, uh, at self help that they did for kids in continuation school. Yeah. And those kids, man, they get that Love sharp that shit, blade huh? and they want to carve into stuff and they want to like and then they're like, hey, mister, <laughs> can I take this home? I'm like, oh, you're the kid drawing, scratching up all the buses. It's not like, no, man, give me that. You could, you could use it here. But you yeah. can't take it with you. They want to be fucking scribing. Like, oh, come shit. on, mister. Let me let me take it. <laughs> but I could relate I could relate to them You know I mean And it's not always like roses But At the end of the day It's kind of like uh, What opportunity Did You know I mean I see myself in them You know Big time man So Yeah I didn't have shit in the centro Nothing dude Yeah Just my parents Like buying me an airbrush like, Yeah But that's all I needed Yeah I mean the very first thing was that I mean I'm fortunate To, to have had that encounter early on and then after that, it was a mission, the Mission Cultural Center, Mission Grafica. Juan Fuentes was my first uh, uh, mentor uh, out there. And he really, like, nurtured, you know, uh, um, my lino cut skills, you know. He, like, really took me under his wing and, like, hey, gave me access to the studio, gave me access to the press. I, I messed up so much in that studio, I re I'm surprised he let me come back. Because I remember one day. That's where you learned, though. I was mixing a vat of ink. Uh huh. And I just put too much water in the ink, oh, and he fun. told me like, "Oh, put put a little water," and I put too much, and he threw it on the screen, and the thing just seeped through. And he's like, "Oh man, you put too much water." And I was like, "Well, you said a little. For me, a little was like half a cup." Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? He didn't like throw me out. It's like, "Oh, you just messed up a vat of ink." He like invited me back, and I we, I finished. Uh, my first silkscreen poster was done at Mission Graphic, and it was for Dia de Muertos, for Dia de Dead. That's awesome. And uh, that kind of gave me the confidence to kind of move forward with that. And then, of course, uh, San Francisco Center for the Book. I used to do uh, volunteer work there. I got access to the printing presses. Like I cut my teeth there, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, really learned uh, letterpress. I've always had an interest in design, you know. And w while I was in the barriers, something really interesting was happening uh, where uh, you had this tech boom happening, like the internet boom. And uh, all these people were running to take courses on how to code and how to build websites and how to do e-commerce and all these different fancy things. So mm -hmm. the print, the print arts got completely ignored. So I had a chance to have 
these wonderful classes with some great professors that specialized in print. Um, uh, Michael Carabetta, who at the time was working for Chronicle Books, I think he was their creative director. Uh, Doug Akagi, who designed the Gap logo, like the one, remember yeah. the Gap logo when they tried to change it? They, like, Don't remember. Last year they tried to change it and it was like a big uproar. Like, no, change it back. It, it wasn't, it was like sans serif, right? Before it has a, it has a serif. Yeah, right? that's right. So the, 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 original. the original logo is his. Oh, dope. So he was one of my professors. Kern Toy, like big shout out to Kern Toy. That guy was the guy that I connected with the most. He grew up in, you know, he grew up in the projects. And he would tell mm. me, like, he saw me and he's like, dude, I understand you. You're, you're from, you're, you're, you grew up the same way I did. And, you know, like to this day, Kern Toy continues to like. Where's uh, he at? He's up north. He's in he's the a professor. He's, he was a professor at CCA. He's not anymore. Now he has his own practice. But all those guys really, really mentored, uh, uh, really mentored that side of me, right? Uh, the, the graphic design, the the you know, and they're they're kind of like role models for me, to, things to aspire that I could do the what they do, right? Yeah. Um, but then eventually I moved back. Yeah, no, I I want to get into uh, so you get back here. Um, yeah, two thousand two. Is that where you? got more political like where do, where do you remember being politicized oh, <laughs> so that's what's I, I, this is a question i love right. when's the first time like instant even if you're little yeah that you remember you're like that you can look back and say this is where i got politicized wow i mean hmm. i i mean participating in the marches against prop 187 word with uh what's his name the with davis right that was during the yeah uh, uh pete wilson pete wilson sorry sorry, pete wilson, sorry. Not, not, yeah pete wilson what was the other uh, guy's name the guy i mentioned uh, i forgot his name gray davis great he he wasn't it was it was pete wilson it was pete wilson yeah uh that's the first time i i could recall so, so could you explain what what that uh what that oh, law was dude, it was it was a, a piece of legislation that wanted to deny what was the name of it again a prop proposition 187 which is interesting because 187 is the police code for uh, homicide right? yep and they're, you know, Prop 187 wanted to deny uh, public schooling and uh, access to health care to undocumented, uh, undocumented folks. Uh, yeah. Amongst a bunch of other things. It really wanted, I think it went down to like even criminal, trying to criminalize uh, uh, people who are renting. I mean, dude, there's so much of this legislation that's coming up now. Yeah. I get it, like it merges, right? But the first time. I remember being pissed off and in the streets is Proposition 187. How old were you, you think? Dang, I must have been like 14, 13 years old. <laughs> and then it's kind of like you start really looking at everything else and you start realizing like, oh, you start like moving beyond your bubble because everything was great. Like for me, it was just kind of like yeah, childhood. right? No, well, the, I mean, that's yeah. the rest of the world is like this, right? Yeah. And then you move beyond that and you're like, hey, fuck. no, it's not. And then you yeah. start questioning, well, why is it different over there? And then if you're a nerd like I am, you start reading. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start understanding that, you know, like you're basically growing up in a space that's not conducive to your success. So you're growing up in a space that was built for you to keep you there and to keep you at a certain certain position, in, you know, in uh, within society, you know. And if you want to, like, be upwardly mobile, you have to, like, conform to this system. Right. Um and for me, it's just kind of like, well, I'm with, I went, uh, how do you, how do you fight this monster that you're, when you're inside of it, we're, we're, we're benefiting from the system every day, but how do you become, you know, how do you fight your way out of it? 
Um, and it's a challenge, you know, but that's, and that's what got kind of got set in motion, uh, during that prop 187 battle. Yeah. I mean, that's what set in motion a lot of things for me. And then being in the Bay area when I was older, when I was 18, um, uh, uh, hanging out at AK press, and, oh, yeah. you know, being around these folks, you know, uh, that, that were, in, uh, that were, uh, in, involved with different movements and just talking to folks, you know, and, and talking to other people of color, you know, talking to, you know, talking to black folks in Oakland. Like I, I, I wasn't exposed to a lot of things growing up in Bow Heights. You yeah. know, I wasn't exposed to queer folks. I wasn't yeah. exposed to, so for me leaving home, like I started talking to many different kinds of people and then realized that, Hey, we all got this thing in common. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we all got this problem and it's stemming from this one common so white supremacy, right? White, white supremacy. And the way that they use capitalism as a dagger and as a weapon, to, right? To split us up and yeah. to fight for our own little fiefdoms. And the way that they, you know? the way that they present history and they re, you know, yeah. they curate history in order to keep us at exactly, odds. Exactly, you know? exactly. So, for me, like uh, that's that's how I, I started become. Well, that's that's what set me on this path of kind of like trying trying to be like politically conscious and aware as much as I can. Sometimes I have to put it aside from my own sanity, right? Yeah. But well, we it's always there, but it's always there. You know, it's always in the background. It's always like digging at me. Uh, it's always like begging for me to look at things differently, to hear other perspectives. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, I think um, uh, that's that, you know, having different voices in your life and having different folks uh, uh, will inform and will help you become a better human being. And hopefully within that short you know, span of, of uh, life that you get here on this planet, maybe you can make a difference or contribute. I think that's the responsibility for everybody is, you know, not necessarily like, I mean, because there's a lot of guilt getting thrown around. Oh, yeah. You know, especially towards like uh, white folks or just everyone, everyone. Um, and I don't think you inherit guilt because you're, you know, just because your ancestors were messed up doesn't mean you're, you're guilty. But you do carry responsibility. Well, one you, of the things I always you know? think about, like people, they don't want to assume like, you know, they don't want to be responsible for what happened and, back then. And they're not. But they easily are willing to take like the, the pro like the, the privileges that came with that. Exactly. And it, that's, that's where you got to be like, Hey, let's be a little bit, uh, like George Carlin said, let's be consistent. You know, <laughs> let's keep it consistent. If you don't want to be down with that, then like, you know, throw some of those privileges this way. No, I'm just joking. Right. But even, even well, as us, you know, being like quote unquote misty. So like we're, we're on yeah. both sides of the fucking blade, man. Oh yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I go back, I mean, okay. Uh, just for me to be able to travel back to Mexico and oh, see that's my a family, fucking privilege. it's a huge privilege. I'm documented. Uh, but then it's kind of like, okay, well you have the ability to do that. So what do you, what are you going to, what are you going to do with that? Exactly. You know, and the same way, it's kind of like you, you have that responsibility you know, flexing that privilege yep. to make the world a little better or a lot better, depending on how much of it you flex for the next generation or for even for your generation today, you yeah. know? So, um, uh, yeah, man, like one of the things I always kind of looked up to you was that, you know, your political, your politicization and the way that you kind of politi politically educated yourself, like it was a lot in like books and history and really getting in there and then hanging out with a lot of the people that were there and I really looked up to that, you know, for my, the way that I became politicized was just, I, I, I have a, I have a hard time reading, you know, I have a hard time, like, you know, 
adding like kind of like gaining knowledge in that way but for me it's all about vibes like i always like i always feel like if my gut tells me it's wrong like something's fucked up so i gotta like i do it by impulse you know like right and it's always kind of that's just the way that i i work like on the on just the feeling the vibe like the spirit of something you can tell something's got a fucked up spirit you know and uh i uh but yeah, man, you know, when, when shit's going down politically, like you're one of the people that I turn to, you know, Ricardo, my mentor is oh, one of the people you. that I turn to and, and ask like, what do you think of this, that, and that, you know, because for me, it's, uh, I, I, the way I get, I get information is so much, it's just weird and it's different, you know, but it's, uh, it has worked for me so far. Um, I wanted to kind of continue on the, on the political trip. Like I have some questions of, you know, you're also one of the artists that I feel like you're somewhat your art and, and and just you as a person, you're somewhat of a bridge between what's happening in Mexico, specifically Mexico City and Los Angeles. Right. And I, and I think like you even have connections in the Midwest, you know, that you're yeah. actively working with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the you know, um, so let's talk a little bit about your connection with Diego and how you've worked with yeah. him. And if we can talk a little bit about the about the Ayotzinapa project, the one that you did, the solidarity. Oh, piece. yeah. So that's. Yeah. get into that man that's really interesting to me yeah okay well um uh diego well you're part of this story too like how i met diego and diego is uh well i'll tell you i'll tell you who i don't know how you, how'd you meet him i'll tell you who diego was uh uh-huh, yeah so uh uh, uh what happened was uh my really good friends uh caribia and uh romeo who uh, a big shout out to south el monte arts posse um, and the public history work that uh, that they're they're both doing out there. Um, I met Caribia many years ago, and then she like dropped out. She's a really good friend. Uh, she dropped out of. Uh, I lost touch with her, and then all of a sudden I reconnect, and she, she you know she has a baby, she has a new partner, like, and I'm like, oh man, and we reconnected, and she's a very near and dear friend of mine, and she's like, well, I want you to meet my partner, but at the time I was in school. Mm-hmm. And didn't have like hang, that hangout time. Yeah. But she was like, you know what? He's going to be at UCLA. He's going to be doing an event. I'm not going to be there, but you should go and meet him. So we met. And then afterwards, it was a group of us. And we went to uh, we went to uh, dinner. Then he excused himself and he said, I got to go to the airport to pick up a friend. Oh, man. <laughs> so he left. And the I'm friend, like, right? The friend, right? Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he, he left. He went to the airport and, you know, we finished our meal and, you know, like, I'm nocturnal, man. I'm out in the streets until, like, 2, 3, and, like, pata de perro, you know. Um, and I ended up at my local watering hole, right, uh, Eastside Love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always end up there. All roads lead to, to that place, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I meet, I meet Eastside Love. I get a text message. Hey, man, do you know of a bar? Like, I don't know of any places here. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm at a bar now. I'm hanging out. Come at through. Isla, come through, yeah. you know. So he comes through. And I think you were there. Yeah, because John, the doorman, he's he's going to be on this podcast. Oh, soon. Cool, John cool. Carlos Barrio Dandy. He was my roommate. Yeah. And I just popped in for whatever. I don't even know why I was there, but I was just because I, I don't really drink, you know, so I was just there. And you might have you might have told me, get over here, dude. It might have been you. Yeah, because this dude was hanging out in the back and he was like really not. I think you texted me. Hey, get over here right now. And I was like, <laughs> OK, like, so no, this is cool because you're you're like we're repressing back together like this memory. So I'm hanging out with this dude in the back and he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm Mexico City. I have a museum uh, that I direct and like it's a cultural center. We haven't opened the doors yet, but, you know, we'd love for you, you know, artists to come in. 
uh, uh, creative people to come in and, you know, use the space. And I'll, well, what exactly is it? And I was like, look, let me give you my card. So he hands me this little red card. And yeah. And then I look at his name. It says Diego Flores Magón. And I look up and I was like, dude, like Flores Magón? Flores? Like like my like, Chicano yeah. Studies class, Flores Magón, like Arilac, like, uh, you Ricardo, know, yeah. Ricardo and Enrique. Like, he's like, well, Enrique is my great grandfather. I was like, shut, shut up. Fucking he's crazy, like, dude. This is my first time in LA. I was like, are you for real? He's like, yeah, I, I'd love to meet other artists. <laughs> and that's, I think that's when you came in and I, I started introducing him to, to other people. But I told him he was working at a, in El Monte, public, doing public histories in South El Monte uh, at the time. And I told him, like, look, dude, like, give me one evening of your stay and I could take you to some spots. So this guy was like, all right, like, you got it, man. Like, come pick me up, come through. And we went and uh, I took him to the Italian hall. With right before uh, the Italian be- Hall became the Italian American Museum of Los Angeles, uh, and uh, the director Marian Gatto uh, met him, and he got to see the Italian Hall as the Italian Hall, and that's where yeah. Enrique used to give speeches, and then wow. they would get translated into Italian and printed in the local Italian newspaper. Um, he got a chance to see the Siqueiros mural up close, thanks to. Uh, 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 Mr. Espinosa. This is before I had open, huh? Uh, no, no, this yeah. is after. But, but oh, you guys got to walk up to it. Yeah, we got to walk. I've up always to wanted it. to do that, man. And uh, I, we drove around, uh, took him to 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 uh, to Las Perlas to have some mezcal, listen to mariachi, uh, drove through uh, some of the old headquarters uh, of the PLM Partido Liberal Mexicano, which was this political party. Um, Anarchists as well. It became anarchist. Well, yeah, actually, when it was, they were exiled in the States, it became anarchist. Wow. Um, and just kind of like, and then, you know, I took him to the studio. And then, you know, like, I was excited to meet him, but I questioned his connection to his history. Like, is he burdened? What's his relationship? Because yeah. whatever, just because you came from, like, this legacy of, you know, of, of these folks that did this work, like, I mean, are you just writing on that or what are you doing with it? So we, yeah. I had a really, I managed to have a really honest conversation without him, you know, that without his ego being hurt. And yeah. that's for me was a sign like, oh, I could work with this, this guy. This guy's cool, yeah. Like his connection is not like, you know, it's it's not, um, how could I say it? It's not just surface. You no, know? he's deep, yeah. Like he he's actually interested in doing some real work. So uh, that's where you met him. And then uh, we went to your studio. Uh, actually, right here, we're having this podcast. Yeah. He came through. And then um, what happened? I went to Mexico City and I met with him briefly. And uh, I met the subdirector of the, uh, I think it was called the Ministry of Culture. Oh, no, Secretariat of Culture for Mexico City. Wow. And we were talking about um, uh, the upcoming, it was just, oh, okay, yeah, this is 2014. So there's the centennial of Villan Zapata coming into Mexico City. And my family was very active during the revolution, like from my yeah. dad's side of the family. Um, and I told her the story that my, my, my great-grandfather's half-brother is actually on the right-hand side of Villa in that really famous picture of Pancho Villan Zapata. And she like flipped. She's like, really? He's like, yeah. And and, I'm a, and she's like, and you're an artist? I was like, well, we, we want to give you like a public art commission. I was like, excellent. Well, let's talk about it. And uh, this is like February. And yeah. Then July came around. They're like, okay, we're going to hammer out the contract. But look, block out these three weeks. 
to be in the office. You could work on it and start thinking about it. And I was like, all right. And I started like doing some rough like ideas and sketches and um, August comes around and they're like, all right, we're securing funds. And then September comes and that's when Ayotzinapa happened. That's when yeah. it's like kids got uh, 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 assassinated, you know, killed. And they still haven't found the, and they still haven't, found, you know, they still haven't come, found the bodies. Yeah. Still haven't found the bodies. They still haven't uh, uh, found any like, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just, I mean, it's just hard for me even to like think about. It's rough, man. Um, but it's always it's always there that that's kind of, yeah, dude. It was just such such a, uh, such a, such a tragedy, dude. Such yeah, a tragedy. It felt and, fucked up, you know. And and it's like it happened, and then sadly, like it's it's kind of like, that's all the news you hear from from Mexico. Being on the other side, it's constant, like oh, death, death, violence, violence. Rough, man. Connected to narco trafficking, and then you become desensitized. So when I first heard the news. I was shocked because it was like 43 isn't like, you know, it's a huge number just to go out like that. And then like the videos just started coming out and then the investigation started rolling through. And then you had Karam just being such a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And just saying, I'm tired. Yeah. Make and say, and walking away from the press. <laughs> and, and it's just kind of like my, it just like, it was just kind of like my anger grew and grew and grew because it's like, Descaradamente, the state was just like trying to brush this under the the rug, you know, like like it wasn't even like it, it wasn't even like a, a discreet or like it was just kind of like yeah whatever we don't care. And then for me seeing my mom cry, like <laughs> like if one of her own sons had passed away, it was like fuck, dude, this is fucking huge. rough, man. It's rough, and and it's kind of like she wasn't crying, you know. It, it was kind of like. Her heart was going out to the mothers, know, huh? Yeah, dude. The parents. She was putting themselves herself in that position, and, and for me, it's just like my anger grew and grew and grew. <laughs> and then, like, what happened was in, in November. And I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because it's just kind of like I have like like all this emotion inside of me, and it comes out as a laugh, and it's not. Yeah, man. No, don't worry uh, about it. Yeah, and then this is kind of. I I think about it, and I, 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 I it pisses me off. Anyways, I was back there in November. They burned the protesters burned the door of the national palace and you were the, there huh i wasn't there I, I, my friend romeo was okay. there and and yes you showed me some video from that right yeah yeah and it was more and more clearly like it was like infiltrators that, yeah. that burnt the door usually and uh the, the 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 secretary of culture pulled funding for the project and uh of course and then i was ended up like three three weeks in mexico city so uh, you already had your flights. I had but. my flight. I had the block. I was going to stay at Diego's place. And, you know, we hung out and finally I got to see the space. Diego had just purchased the Rizograph machine. And uh, what's the name of his uh, museum? Oh, the museum is called El Hijo de la Huizote. And that's where they used to be, right? Yeah. This guy found the old headquarters of the, uh, uh, the Flores Magón. The Flores Magón brothers. brothers where the newspaper was being produced. What's the name of that of that uh, of the newspaper? El Hijo de la Huizote. Okay. Yeah. Awisote, what does that mean? Awisote is a mythical Aztec creature. Word. So uh, an Awisote is uh, is kind of like a, a neutron, like a water, like um, like a, like kind of like a rat, yeah. but not really, like, I, I don't know, like an aquatic uh, rodent, like large rodent. Oh, yeah. And what happens, what the Aztecs used to say that it used to yell out like a person drowning, and then it had a hand in its tail, 
And then like you get close enough to it, to the sound of someone drowning because you want to help out. And then the hand would drag you under and drown you. It's like crocodile tears. Kind of. So like the way that they used it was like, it was kind of like the newspaper was always protesting the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz. And uh, the newspaper was the unseen hand because all the, the, well, most of the writers used pseudonyms because they could get into a lot of, I mean, they get disappeared yeah. just like it was happening now. now. So we look at the space and then we have, he has the risograph machine. He had printed um, a, uh, a newspaper. I, I remember Daniel Hernandez, who's a, uh, uh, who's a writer and really a good, good friend of mine. Uh, he produced like an article for the very first issue that they published. And I started, you know, asking questions. He showed me, it prints on newsprint double-sided. The capacity is like 3,000 in like an hour or something like that. And your gears are turning. Oh, yeah, man. But the gears were <laughs> turning. Like I was like getting the, all this info. And then we go to Salon Corona and we have beers and tacos. And I'm like, Diego, you know what it needs to happen? Fuck yeah. <laughs> we, like we need to bring it back like now. But Old like, school though, huh? But like bring it back. But like get folks involved here in the States and retrace the way that the newspaper used to be printed in Mexico and then smuggled into the U.S. and this, oh, actually, no, printed in the U.S. and smuggled into Mexico. Yeah. And we need to redo that connection because, dude, we, we're, we're, you know, here in the States, we, we suffer that violence, too. There's people here mourning, you know, yeah, man. victims of, like, state-sponsored violence and Fuck yeah. here. And we need to bring those 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 two together and start drawing some parallel lines, you know, between what's happening in Ferguson at the time. Yeah. Between what's happening at Yotinapa, between what's happening with women, you know, Fuck and Juarez man. and all over all over the place. And indigenous communities. Indigenous communities. Here here in the States. Yeah. No, no. I mean, we started, you know, start like drawing these parallels and bring these people like bring people like talking to each other. So, yeah. One of the things I think of right now is is the audience here i mean a good portion of them are going to know who ricardo flores magon and and uh what was it what was his brother's name sorry enrique. enrique yeah um but do you think you could give us a quick synopsis of like who they were what they did yeah. you know how did they they pass away or like where did they ended up sure in? um so enrique and flores magon um they're they're two brothers from en enrique and ricardo right enrique yeah. and ricardo mm -hmm. and uh they were uh, from Oaxaca and uh, they 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 started a uh, printing a newspaper that was denouncing the, the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz and Porfirio Diaz was a guy that was uh, being reelected in Mexico for like 60 years Fuck. and then he promised that he wouldn't reelect himself one last time like he wouldn't do it he's like okay we're gonna have elections now and I'm not gonna put myself in there and of course he, 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 he breaks the promise and he, he did so Enrique and uh, and, uh, and Ricardo have a performance art piece in front of the headquarters of their headquarters called La Constitución ha muerto. The Constitution is dead because he broke one of the promises of the Constitution, which is no re-election, right? And uh, they had this performance art piece. He took a really famous photograph, which was used then by Diego, the great-grandson of Enrique, to find the space uh uh, and then build the museum, build it into a museum slash community space. Um, and then because of that performance art piece, Porfirio Diaz exiled them to the U.S. They uh, first arrived in San Antonio. And this is all like around 1902, 1903. Crazy, huh? Yeah. They arrived in San Antonio. 
the goons, uh, Porfirio's goons through the consulate, found them, beat them up, broke their printing machines. They went to Chicago. Uh, same thing, but all along they were organizing. So they were organizing folks in San Antonio, organizing folks in Chicago, and they finally came to LA and they got a foothold and they got the support of people like uh, oh, Emma Goldman. And they were in and out of prison, you know, in and out of prison. And then they become radicalized. They become anarchists. And then they start printing the newspaper here in the U.S. and then smuggling it into Mexico. Um, Troublemakers, huh? Troublemakers, man. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) one of the really famous quotes that actually is misappropriated today is, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Yeah, we say it's Attributed to Zapata. In actuality, that was printed in, I believe it was printed in the U.S. It was Praxides Guerrero who... Who yeah. said it then they printed it went into mexico and somewhere along the line it got into the hands of zapata either he wrote it or someone told him about it and now everyone attributes that to wow. him so that's how deep their impact was big time man and they launched a revolution an armed movement long before the revolution of 1910 happened uh the plm entered uh, uh, uh mexico and they organized an armed uprising that took up part of the northern states of Sinaloa, Baja California, and Sonora. And uh, because of their activities, uh, they were deported from the U.S. And then uh, Ricardo died in Leavenworth Prison. The rumor is that he died as a result of his injuries and that a Chicano avenged his death by choking one of the prison guards. I don't wow. know if that's, if that's apocryphal or has any historical basis, but that's kind of like the, uh, the story, right? And then J.K. lived on. And Enrique, actually, the PLM had their headquarters over in uh, Echo Park. Uh, and uh, it was called Edendale. And recently we visited the property and it's been knocked down. Like in one of the trips we were retracing Diego's uh, 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 most recent trip, actually this past February, we were visiting these different locations and the building got knocked down. Um, but, uh but yeah, man, like this guy has like some deep roots here in L.A. And I thought it, it was important to dig that up and to get folks involved and get them politically involved and get them into this project that where we created the uh, newspaper, El Hijo de la Huizote, and brought it up to date to 2014 and, you know, be critical of, 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 uh, of government, you know. Be critical of the situation and, and it's kind of like an open forum for visual artists so the way that the, the 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 newspaper was formatted 11 by 17 sheet the front was a graphic and the back was either poetry prose stories i remember caribia wrote something really beautiful about a teacher in el monte that died as a result of narco violence he wasn't involved in this stuff and he was killed i think it was in the state of durango Poli Marichal was also uh, wrote something beautiful talking about Puerto Rico and their yeah, struggle with narco violence and um, and it brought all these people together and we created this very uh, 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 impactful piece because the media wasn't really reporting on this stuff and if they were they were just reporting on the uh, violence right around yeah. like the protests when in reality the violence was only like maybe that small little area yeah but they didn't show like the, the you know the close to million people that were yeah, out, over a million people out, out protesting peacefully you know so the newspaper became a way of like communicating and showing people solidarity in a very personal way kind of like how you would hand over a note to someone and say like hey we're with you we feel you and, and yours said it los angeles está con ustedes right or something like that yeah so each of the artists uh uh, uh that participated 
uh, you know, they, they repped the city. So we had people from New Mexico, from Albuquerque, Chicago, uh, Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland. We had uh, uh, we had many different cities represented. So the front said has a graphic and it says uh, Mexico no está solo. And then the back was a city like, you know, X is with you. It is, X is está contigo. So Albuquerque está contigo. So you look at the graphic and oh, the wow. graphic is like, you know, something related to that. And in the back is everything in Spanish, you know, oh, <laughs> we yeah. had to translate. Like, we Dope, had translated man. a lot. And in the span of three days, we accomplished that. We printed 3,500 copies. We distributed them. The graphics, of course, turned, got turned, reprinted out in Mexico by the time the, in, in the F. By the time we went out to the second protest, we started seeing them in colors and pink and people started adopting them into their to their banners. But a lot of the artists use their pseudonyms. So this wasn't a platform for the artists to yeah, gain any notoriety or, or, or like exposure. So this, solidarity. Is, this is just solidarity. So shed your ego and, you know, it's become amazing. involved. And, and that's what uh, uh, that's the project that got started. Um. And we're trying to wind up to do it again uh, in the third year, you know? Yeah, man, and that would be amazing. Um, Yeah, that's a trip. I remember people sending me images of, like, you know, the, the immigration post for me and Chef did, like, they got a hold of it down there. And yeah, then yeah. They re was it you that sent me the image where they where they turned it into, like, Ayotinapa, like the little girl that we are human oh, girl? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing that it just gives, like, it, people give it new life, and then they just... They just improve upon it, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to segue into, like, I want to talk to you, especially since, you know, I consider you a historian on, on a lot of this. I want to talk about, like, the Mexican tradition of printmaking. You know, talk about, uh, you know, two of the biggest guys, I guess, Manuel Manilla and Jose Guadalupe Posada. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what was the role of kind of helping and contributing to create like the Mex the, the Mexican identity of what mm. we know today, um, so I I know very little of Manilla, and I think I actually he's my favorite, he's of, your that, favorite? of that time. He's a precursor to Posada, right? Like I don't was, know, I, I, think, I don't I don't know my history, man. I think he he was doing I think he was older than Posada, and he was he was creating uh, the images. little calaveras was a lot of them were his, you know. Yeah, and uh, and Posada uh, later uh, came after him. And mm -hmm. then he started pu publishing stuff with Arroyo, um, Arroyo Vanegas. And uh, and I think the important thing to consider when we look at the work of Posada, because uh, we look at the work of Posada as Chicanos in L.A. Yeah. In a political context. Yeah. Because it was present in, it, it, it informed a big part of our Dia de Muertos yeah. celebrations. Big time. You know, that Dover book, the Calaveras, uh, you know, of, of Jose Guadalupe Posada. Like a lot of people took that imagery and incorporated into like political graphics, into um, Day of the Dead Flyers, into um, a lot of visuals, right? So we know his work within that context. Yes. But what it's important to realize that Posada, during the time that he was producing this work, it was just you know it was a it was a craft. He had he it it seems that Posada didn't have the political vision that we apply to him today. You know, yeah. like he and once he, it's out of your hands, like it's up to the people with how they're going to uh, define it, I guess, too. Right. Well, it was just a way of reproducing images. And yeah. he was just kind of like, well, you want me to do something about 
Porfirio Diaz? Sure. You want me to write? It was a gig, right? He, it was a gig. It wasn't yeah. like, he wasn't like, oh. Like, was, was he living working class or was he somewhat of a bourgeois person? No, nah, man. Like, the guy was working class. Yeah, big time, huh? Yeah, and then a lot of his work was uh, lost in a flood in Guanajuato. Oh, I believe man. it was Guanajuato. So we you, only you've know. held some of the original plates. Right? Yeah, yeah, I have. Okay. I've been I've been really lucky. In it, <laughs> <laughs> to I I even own like a couple of like the original uh, uh, pressings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, big thank Amazing, you to, to my buddy Elias Namias who, who uh, you know, I was gonna buy some restrikes, and that's when they take the plate and they just print it print over it. again. And he's like, "This is your first one." He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Nah, I'm not gonna let you buy that. You gotta." Look, I'm gonna make a pile, and you pull out of the pile, and you could buy one for the price that, the, the set price. So wow. I made a pile, and I found like a broadside, and it, it has like the, you know, El Carabat Tapatio actually has yeah. words in it. <laughs> I had no idea. No. I thought it was just like a, a son, like a son uh -huh. No, the thing has like words, and I pulled. And it now, out. and he actually struck that. Yeah, yeah, that oh, was one one from the shit, you know, and a lot of the work doesn't survive because it was produced in such cheap paper yeah it was the penny press of mexico like it was a way for people to uh get the news and then get like this funky illustration like if you were illiterate you could kind of get a, get a notion exactly. of what it, the idea of what was written so posada was prolific and he Amazing. was important because he captured like some very momentous events in uh in mexico he lived in during a very interesting time yeah and just the way that people were framing these historic events was interesting the way that it was being produced into broadsides and then consumed by the public you know i believe uh leopoldo mendez kind of added to that to that uh to that notion that posada was a, a political person when he made that homage to uh, jose guadalupe posada which is a print where the Flores Magón brothers are in the background at yeah. some type cases, and then Posada sitting at a table with a vest, looking out the window. Yes, and you see like this, like this riot, right? Yeah. I think that print kind of like started. Feeding, Did they know each other? Uh, Ricardo the Magón. You know, I'm I'm not sure. I don't think they actually they met. did because if you look at that image. The address is different from the space where the riot happened. The riot yeah. had actually happened at a time that Posada, I don't think, would have been around, or the Magón brothers would have been old enough to be portrayed the way they are in that print. So that print is a complete construct, you know? Yeah. But it fed into this vision that Posada had, like, a political notion or something. And this is not to diminish the importance of his work yeah. or, or how prolific and wonderful he was. But just that to take into consideration that we, as you know, have kind of like fed this myth. Of course. And this notion about Posada being political in the same way that Mexico has created like this whole nationalist construct, right? Yeah. Around itself by creating these, uh, these idols and creating these, uh, these historic uh, events and, and people. Um, I'm a big proponent of like, movements and not heroes or you know because yes. <laughs> um you know like if you really look closely like pancho villa wasn't that cool of a dude nah. if you look too closely carranza wasn't a cool dude and you know like if you look really closely at like any historical figure they're not completely black and white but together collectively they work towards a movement that benefited a lot of people and brought us to the point that we are today yeah you know and that's what you got to look at not hero worship or, or building and mexico is great at creating these um super romantic yeah 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 because at the end of the day i mean that's that's what cons that that's what constructs uh nationalism and nationhood yep. 
is having these big stories with these big figures and like tall tales larger than life larger than life and you just it's important to like be critical of them and then like look at them in different contexts don't get caught up in the romanticism don't get caught up in the romanticism look at the movement and where it's heading yeah not not you know yeah I wanna I wanna talk to you about this image, you know, La Catrina, Jose, oh, yeah. Jose Guadalupe Posada, and La Garbancera. <laughs> is that what they call it? <laughs> That's what he called it. I, I, I didn't know that. Good, uh, real quick. Sure. When I look at this image, let's take this this uh, Calavera, you know, very famous image. Just look it up. Probably one of his most famous images. Right. And she's wearing this big bougie hat with like feathers and flowers. And to me, the way that I interpret it, without like, I was like, mm-hmm. he's making fun of bougie people. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh. Yeah, let's let's go into this image, man. Like, I, what? Uh, so he, what was the original name? Oh, so the original name is La, Garbanz- <laughs> La Garbancera. And why do people call her Katrina? La Katrina, because she has that really fancy dress and that really fancy hat. But they call her Katrina because Diego Rivera painted a mural uh, Sunday afternoon in Alameda Park, mm-hmm. and he calls her La Katrina. And he Word. starts, he starts like building. He, he includes that image. Oh, it's a central figure. Okay. okay. And he's holding uh, Diego. I don't, think, I don't think I've seen it. I might have seen, seen I might have seen the photo, but my memory is just. Oh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an amazing mural because um, it, it's, it's called a Sunday afternoon dream in Alameda Park or. In un sueño the title dom- of the, uh, yeah. Un sueño dominical. Uh, I'm going to go from memory. My memory is not always there. So Google this, but I think it's un domingo dominical en el parque Alameda. Una, o una tarde, something like I'll that. I'll look it up. Parque look Alameda. Up. Uh-huh. So what it is, it's in the central figure is La Catrina, right? But like the full figure, Catrina in color. Uh-huh. And then next to the Catrina is holding Diego's hand. And then the wonder side, uh, Jose Guadalupe Posada has his arm, is holding the Catrina's arm. Next to baby Diego is a full, like uh, an adult Frida holding, yeah. I think she's holding a yin yang. I'm not sure, but she's there. And then you see like the upper class in the middle of the mural. And then if you look at the trees of the mural, they're all wavy, like a dream. And it's colorful. But you start looking at the edges of the mural, you see the lower classes being beaten down by the police. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. You start seeing like the really nasty stuff, like um, indigenous families being pushed out, darker skinned folks, mestizo folks being pushed out. Um, and, you know, it's an amazing mural, but it started becoming called La Catrina right around that time maybe before Word. but i think that's a very big art piece so the original name once again la garbancera garbancera what yeah. is uh what, what does that translate garbanzo bean eater which mm. i don't not relate i don't know why is it like bougie people eating garbanzo back then maybe like maybe garbanzo beans were like you know like the thing bougie people would it's would, like we don't eat pinto beans we eat garbanzos right but <laughs> <laughs> yeah we eat fancy beans we're not yeah. like, like the pinto beans but you know um what he's making fun of is the way that people used to powder their faces Word. to be to lighter, lighter skinned, which is something that Porfirio Diaz used to do. Yeah. He was dark skinned uh, Oaxaqueño, you know, and he would use tons of powder to lighten his skin tone and, you know, to, to, to like associate himself to the upper class. And he was a big hero of the Cinco de Mayo, uh, 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 Battle of the Cinco de Mayo, Batalla de Puebla. He was a general. He was mm. one of the guys that threw out the French and then he became Frenchified. Like he became like... <laughs> he became what Franchote, he... Franchote, you yeah. know? Like he became like... Uh, what he was fighting against. Exactly. It that happens sometimes. all the time, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, couple notes I took here. Um, you know, when we're talking about romanticism, the way yeah. that, you know, I think... I have this theory. I don't know. I, I might be completely off, you know? And I don't want to... I'm not saying that I study this. This is just the shit that I come up with when I'm daydreaming. Uh-huh. 
a couple of things that I think about. Um, and some of this shit is kind of dark, man. Like, I think Chicanos are just Mexican Americans. Like, we've had, we've, we're just coming from these weird mix of bloods, you know? Like, sure. part of our lineage is fucking, you know, colonizer Spanish, like, kind of like dark fucking angry roots. And then the other side is like the, the indigenous people and somewhat fucking lost the war in, in a certain way. You know, we yeah. didn't lose everything, we didn't lose our pride, we didn't lose you know, our, our connection to mother earth fully, you know, we made it lost some of the, some of the languages, but that shit fucking hurts. When you really think about it, you're like, why don't I know my languages? Why don't I know, you know, my traditions and, sure. and, and it starts, it makes me feel bitter, you know? So a lot of times I think, I don't know if it's just for everyone, but for males, for men, it's like, it, uh, it hurts the ego when you think like you have to admit to yourself that we somewhat lost the battle at one point. Now we need to regain. So I think romanticism is, is that tool to, to soften the wound for us a little bit like we romanticize these images like you know our our mm -hmm. our ancestors ancestors were tough warriors and they they were like these men that, that fought against everyone and they were fearless and mm -hmm. and that to me i feel like sometimes we've used it over time to survive mentally like to keep our mental health from like hitting that floor of like depression of like facing what's mm -hmm. what has happened here and it's and i think it's very useful but it's dangerous when we continue to use it after like, I think we're at a place right now where we can really yeah. start rebuilding and we can really start learning. But if we keep on staying in this rut of romanticism, it's only going to fuck us up because we're not going to do the work we need to do, you know? Um, so you have to look, you have to really consider where these notions of, of romance comes from. Romance and yeah. romanticism is a very European idea, number one. And number two, that romance and that myth building has been used by patriarchal of course. people to create nationhood and to create nationalism. So a lot of the popular imagery that we're looking at today is a, as a result of that process. Our, what's ours, like what's completely ours, like is hidden in things like, um, and in, 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 in it's deep, man. You got to really go looking, digging for it. And it's because it's not always present. But you know what? That's how truth, that's how the truth survives beyond that trauma. You have to hide it. And it's not hidden in the most obvious spaces. It's not hidden within um, the things that are going to attract you the most attention. It's going to be hidden, you know, behind really inconspicuous things. And I'm, I'm going to share something with you. Um, where my family is from, they're from Zacatecas. Uh, we could trace back our our uh, our ancestors back to the Cascanes. Uh, what's, maybe, what's the Cascanes? Is that a last name? No, Cascanes are like the indigenous people that used to live in that area or maybe okay. maybe i'm saying it wrong too cascanes maybe maybe yeah i i learned saying I it, cascanes. but the cascanes they were they built a, a kind of a loose confederacy of uh i think it was like three different kingdoms the area that my family's from is from the place uh, the kingdom of teolinchan the the town is today called teul but it's it used to be called tonaikakan and it was a religious ceremonial center uh of that of that area and there was a big uh, war, the mixed on war. <laughs> I had an argument with a professor at ELAC over this because he didn't include that in within the the within the list of like uh, post colonial rebellions. Yeah, I was like the mixed on war lasted forty years, uh -huh. and it was because of an alliance of uh, indigenous folks, the Cascanes, the Cora, the Huichol. You know, there was even some uh, some. I think there was like even like uh, 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 other tribal. Uh, uh, representations. I think there was even Yaki involved. Anyways, it was an alliance that that 
really challenged the foothold of of of, uh, of Spain within uh, within Mexico. And uh, one of the leaders, his name was Tenamasle, and he's getting more and more attention. I think Hollywood's get, you know got a hold of him and they turn him they're gonna turn him into a movie, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah. But not a lot of people know about that guy. So one day I'm hanging out with my grand <laughs> my grandmother, and my grandmother had like one of these older style kitchens with a very low uh, uh, door like you had to duck to get into the kitchen like one side one wall was ha- taller than the other so to create a slant for the tower roof so if, if you didn't duck your head like you would hit your head pretty hard on the yeah on the crossbar so she goes no te pegues el tenamasle mijo <laughs> and I was like I thought about I was like okay I was like no te pegues el tenamasle la cabeza wow I was like what my grandma doesn't know any of this history but it survived but, that word survived but that yeah. word survived and it means head and a head is elite it? like if you look at your head in in in, um, in context of your body it's the leader it's the thing that commands your own limbs right so somehow that word survived mm-hmm. and it's used to describe your head and my grandma uses it as kind of like a slang term that she grew up using in that area you know and so like things like that survive in the most inconspicuous places yeah. and it's up to us to kind of like Oh, it's not up. Uh, if you're curious, it's up uh, up to us to find them and and to kind of like uh, consider them and then um, study them and then you know then eventually share them. You know, but um, yeah, a lot of so a lot of what are is ours is kind of hidden within within these little yeah little spaces. Crannies, yeah. yeah, man. One of the things that I'll never forget that a friend told me. Uh, my uh, uh, my friend uh, Jaime from from Durango. He was here as an undocumented worker, did printmaking. I published one of his books, Hierbas Intrigas. It was kind of like his vision of uh, urban environments and the conflict that plants posed mm-hmm. to like the the concrete. You know, uh, he said like, you know, you Chicanos are weird. I was like, why? You guys are, are like dancing with like feathers in your hair to like the beats of drums <laughs> that you have like no idea. You know. And but you know, and that's cool, but you know, you kind of crap on like the kind of music I like. Like, what are you like, man, tamborazo? You don't hear the, oh, yeah. the you don't hear the indigenous rhythms within tamborazo? Like, oh, yeah, man. you're lost. Like, that's where it's at, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it may be European, but like within that, yeah, is your rhythm, is our rhythms, and it exactly. comes from the north, and, and even the African rhythm. You know? Yeah, you find you find you know that's where you're gonna find it. And it started like, you know, uh, it led me to kind of like to consider like other things, you know? Yeah. So the, you know, I think of even just words like hanging out with my grandmother and like words that survive, even all the bullshit of colonization and like, you know, being attacked for a long time um, and oppressed like these some of like indigenous culture somehow stays resilient. It's like the the grass and the weeds growing through the concrete, you yeah. know, um, and I think even just that, like the words that like in May, in Spanish, you say plants like plantas, but you know, my grandma used to call them matas. And like, sometimes I'm right. like, is matas an indigenous word? It sounds like it. my little brother was telling me that mm-hmm. once. He's like, you think that's a, a like a, some kind of like indigenous term? I'm like, it totally could be. Right. Um, it could be also Spanish, but we don't know. Um, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple things that I wanted to talk to you about, you know, even just, even the African here, you know, like yeah. most most Mexicanos, like, I grew up always thinking that Sabila was our plant, like, was a Mexican plant. And I had a really kind of near and dear, like, uh, story, like, relationship with Sabila. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when my dad was, like, 23 or something, I was already born. He had, I think, you know, I must have been, like, a young kid at the time or 
or may- maybe it was a little bit before I was born, but he got uh, he got some wisdom teeth removed and he had mm. a really bad abscess and it turned into the size of about a golf ball. Whoa. And my grandmother took him to San Diego to a specialist and they were like, you know, this is so bad and that there's such, you know, toxic bacteria in there. If we open it up, it's going to go into his bloodstream and it's, it's going to go septic and it's go straight to his brain. It's going to kill him. So, you know, enjoy your, your son. And my grandma's like, God, it's really sad. And she goes and tells my, my great grandmother, um, Mama China in Mexicali. Yeah. And she tells her, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get Savila, aloe vera, and you're going to cut him in half and, and put him on the, on the comal, get it a little hot and put that, all that, all that, uh, jelly stuff on the, the, the gel from the aloe vera on uh, on gauze and just put it on on the abscess yeah. and she did it and after like three days it exploded like my mom says it just exploded all over the place it was disgusting but it saved his life and he still has a scar on there and so for my whole life like that was like a sacred thing for me like it saved my yeah. dad's life yeah and you know and then i started learning like oh aloe vera is african yeah. it's it's uh like they're so they've been there in africa for so long that they're as tall as palm trees and like wow. here i've never seen them that big you know? yeah yeah but just the idea of like, you know, knowledge and resilient, like, uh, culture or traditions like hide in like the most, oh, yeah. the most little cor- small corners. You know? Like things like menudo, <laughs> everyone's yeah. favorite hangover cure is actually, a, a dish that was made by, by African slaves, you know, menudo. Wow. Yeah. Shit, dude. <laughs> menudo, menudo is, I mean, look at the ingredients, you know, you, you got, you got tripa. Panza, like this is like the leftovers after you slaughter a cow. Like someone else is eating the meat, and all that's leftovers is the intestine and the and the stomach. Menudo is a, a food that was consumed by Black African slaves. Wow, you know this is and and the, everyone like doesn't give a second thought when you're eating it. When you eat it, you know when you have your menudo this Sunday, like just think about that. <laughs> exactly, it's right there in your face, like you know. It's been there for how long? You know, your, your your mother probably makes it. Your tia probably makes it. You, you know, your deals probably make it as a hangover cure. Yeah, but, man. And it's that's the roots of, of this of this dish, you know? Yeah. And even like, you know, my family having Sephardic roots and like, you know, I tell people, yeah, my family, I come from like Jewish roots. And they're like, how are you Jewish if you're Mexican? I'm like, dude, think about every, all the panaderias, all the Mexican right. sweet bread. That's all. You go to Cantor's, that's the same shit, you all know? Right. It's, it's, it's all Jewish bread. You know, you, you think of a... Uh, uh, albondigas, it's it's multiple. So, hey, puerquitos. Uh, yeah, I, I know that story too. Yeah, yeah. I, I've said that story on the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you can tell that. I, I want to hear no, your version. No, I mean, oh, they're all they're all different. That's what I love about it. What's what's your version of the? I puerquito? think you told me. You told oh, me. Okay, the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's. I was tripping out. I'll, I'll probably tell that in the intro. You know. Yeah. But uh, or in the or I'll save it for another episode. But the um. So much of of that like hidden, hidden uh culture within mexico you know even just the the tacos al pastor oh like, yeah you know that's it's uh it takes shawarma you know yeah well your favorite comedian capulina was yeah. actually 14 years old came from uh he's lebanese yeah yeah i knew that you i know? love capulina yeah man. i grew up watching a show a show that capulina that was like classic first. man did you ever watch that show uh el chavelo you remember that oh that chavelo scares me man dude my dad was on that show shut up yeah as a wow. kid he was, I don't think he made it on the stage, but he was in like one of the tapings. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, man, um, I want to tune it back in. I, man, yeah, we got, yeah, we yeah. still have a lot of shit to go over. Um, I have so much notes here. This is a, this is a really good episode, man. Thank you for uh, coming by. No, um, no problem. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So, um, one of the stories, one of my favorite stories you've told me, and it's just like, you know, you always walk into these amazing, like 
situations and earlier you were saying how i'm a metiche yeah same here brother i get in there we call it dabbling you know dabbling uh, yeah, yeah yeah the um this this uh story you told me earlier you were saying that one of your relatives uh or ancestors is in the photo of yeah. the pancho villa and zapata and he's sitting oh, yeah. right next to it and you told me a story where, where you went down to mexico <laughs> and they were doing a reenactment so, right so yeah during the time that i was in mexico um uh this is like three years ago now in 2014 when i was supposed to be doing that the art commission um the subdirector of the secretary of culture was so embarrassed that the whole thing got canceled she told me like well you know what you'll be my guest and you could come with me and i'll, and I'll take you to some of these uh festivals that they're having to commemorate um pancho and zapata like coming into uh into uh into mexico city so one of the things that they had was a reenactment of that photograph and uh they were setting people up that kind of looked like the people that were in the photograph and i they introduced me to the producer and told him hey you know what i'm really curious i want to see who's going to play my great grand uncle and he's like what do you mean and he showed me the photo i was like well see that guy right there that guy is my great grandfather's i think it was his half brother and he's like no way and he looked at the photo and i was like dude can we shave your beard and throw you in there ah. and i was like well you know i don't want to like bump anybody off i was like dude you have to be in this photo i'm like look dude i i, I just asking i don't want to be like you know like no 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 like please let you know like i was like all right fine so they shaved off my my goatee and they left the mustache they even filled it in with some pencil because i have a gap yeah and they put they put a hat and you know like i i was uh i posed <laughs> i posed in that photograph but it was like a hundred years to the date you know that in the uh, that they took they they reenacted that photograph, they, re they reenacted it in uh, Xochimilco. Wow! Man. And uh, they were supposed to have a um, a cabalgada mm -hmm. from Xochimilco. What does cabalgada mean? Oh, sorry, cabalgada is like a like a um, procession, like a procession with on horseback. Oh, word! Yeah, so three thousand people had signed up to to uh, to go on horseback from Xochimilco to Stokalo, uh, but the government was so afraid of, of reminding people of this momentous event where the people took control yeah. of their own government that they set up the ice skating rink a week early oh, they and they started shit. turning away people away saying that they didn't have the permits to come in with horses into the city one you know because they didn't want to i mean think about it that's a powerful image like and, seeing and someone that shit's needed back. right now you know yeah as well the shit going down yeah so i think it, only 30 people ended up participating because they, they had the permits but the, they those, sabotaged that shit oh yeah yeah it was clear you know but then you kind of see like the power behind these gestures it's like yeah the government does not want to remind people about uh, uh, how powerful they are if they all come together. You know, they want to want to remind people that at one point in their history, they had a, a lot of, they took control. They, they took it back and they, you know, uh, unfortunately it was appropriated and then turned against them. But that one moment existed and it could happen again. Oh, and, yeah. and we we are powerful when we come together. They don't want to remind anybody of that. So any symbol connecting to that, they took it down. Like, for example, the chair that, Pancho Villa sits. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, mysticism around it. They call it La, uh, la, la Silla Encantada. Um, that was a big part. That formed a big part of the festivities. But once uh, Ayotzinapa happened, uh, they wanted nothing to do with it. They would set it up. But they had a replica where people could sit on it. But they put it behind the stage. Like in public Damn. performances, keep it out of the line of sight. They had it on the stage. And the mayor, Mancera, flipped out, sent one of his... Uh, 
uh, staff members the to goons. take it down to t- take it down from the stage because they flipped out. You know, they don't rem- that chair is a symbol of the corruption of Porfirio Diaz's government. It's not a presidential chair; it's a throne. Yeah, you know, it's a throne. It's a it's a and it's a symbol of corrupt power. They don't want anything associated with that. Uh, to remind people of that, but um, yeah, man, like all that stuff. I mean. So, so I was around for some pretty crazy. I felt like I was like tracing my 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 family's like footsteps. Yeah, man. In a weird way, and it was like completely unintentional. Uh, another time, uh, one of my favorite artists growing up was uh, Saturnino Arran. Uh, when I was fifteen, I I made a uh, a copy of his painting, um, Cuatlique Transformed, mm-hmm. and it was of Cuatlique uh, with a Christ on top of it. And for me, it made such a huge impact because it, it, for me, it was like a symbol of mestizaje. And it's the first time I encountered like a painting that touched me that deep, you know. So I made a copy of it. And then later on, it was, it was really hard to come by a monograph. And a monograph is like a book uh, that's just yeah. about one person. It was hard to come by a monograph about him because he had such a brief career. He died uh, in his 30s. Actually, I think it was like 36. He died fairly young. But he created some really uh, impactful uh, work. And I finally found a monograph in Zacatecas, Zacatecas, Zacatecas. And I opened it and I just flipped it open. <laughs> and then there was a portrait of this guy, uh, Lauro Caloca, uh, my great grandfather's half brother. Wow. And it's staring back at me. I showed it to my grandmother. It's like, hey, is that you or is that your dad? Like, what are you doing in that picture? Like, I was Damn, like, no, dear. grandma, it's a relative. So it, it's like things like that kind of like, like make me. I don't know. I don't want to get too like mystical, but it's just kind of like reaffirms certain things that you feel right. Or it makes for a great story at least, you know? Well, for us, it's just, it's different because, you know, you, you, you talk to like the average like white folk here and they, they have all these records and they can trace their sure. family tree. And for us, it's a yeah. fucking wild goose chase, man. Oh, Cause yeah. we didn't, people didn't, we didn't have the same kind of records, man. And like, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's a trip, man. And that that's a perfect segue into the next topic I wanted sure. to talk to you. Um, recently, you know, I just got my, my DNA results oh, back. Nice, I did the test. Nice, nice. And it was kind of the first time I, I was looking at everything. It reminded me of the story that you told me that, like, the last gift that you got from your grandfather was that he gave you a saliva test to... Sample, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, sample. So you sent it to, to get... Uh, uh, tested but yeah what yeah. if you want to share some of of what oh, you discovered yeah. there yeah well um my my grandfather lived to be 106 he passed away uh let's see two months ago two, about two months ago his Sorry birthday would have been hey you know 106 is a long full life and he you know he passed away in in, uh, in a way that you know he passed away in his sleep so it's the best it's the best uh, way that you could yeah. hope to, to to pass on but Right before, I remember I went with a kit and I got a saliva test right uh, that weekend. I got a couple good photographs of him and uh, uh, I sent it in and uh, I got the results back. And man, our background is like so did you get it? In, did you get it in time in order to share it with him? No, I didn't. He passed away the week after. Was he interested in it? You know what? At that point, my grandfather had so much dementia that he didn't. Uh, yeah. He 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 was having a hard time like recognizing, uh, where where he was at and uh, who he who who he's, he was with, um, and also my grandfather was an orphan, um, wow. so he didn't really 
he really didn't have an interest in in in, uh, in revisiting that part of his life because it was so difficult for him to like deal with it to yeah. deal with it you know a lot of you know probably a lot of sad memories and uh he doesn't really want to he really didn't want to talk about it he didn't share much about it he just did say that he grew up in an extreme poverty and saw some really violent times you know he remembers the revolution he remembers the cristero war wow um and uh yeah, it's just like, it's hard, you know? So that, that DNA test, well, we got it back. And it's funny because I, I shared some of it with my friends. And they're like, hey, man, you're more diverse than like most Europeans even. Yeah. <laughs> because we look at it and it's like, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm, uh, 30% Native American, like 36%. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it's European, but only yeah. like a quarter of that is Spanish. Yeah. They're like 2% Italian, a little bit from Sardinia, a little bit from like the Balkans, the Greek. So it's like more than anything, it's like very Mediterranean. Um, this summer I'm going to go to Italy. You know, who knows Fuck what I'm yeah, going to walk man. into, right? You're going to find someone <laughs> knowing you, man. Nah, I mean, I, I, it's a, uh, I'm not, I'm not searching for that part. I think for me, I think I feel like this is the first time I'll be a real tourist. It's my first time in Europe. It's fun, man. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, this DNA test kind of like put a lot of things into kind of perspective. I'm not sure it was going to change anything. No, nah, it's fun. I mean, for me, it was like, you know, it was, it's grounding, right? Yeah. Well, it was, I, I expect for some reason, I don't know why I was like, just cause you know, I, I think, I, I think compared to like a lot of just mestizos here in the States, like I'm, I'm like mid-tone skin, you know, but then yeah. there's like a lot of people around here, you know, I, I, there's a lot of lights, lighter, lighter skin, Chicanos. And, uh, and I, for some reason I thought it was going to be more Spanish than, than I was. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, I, I thought it was going to be a little, so mine, mine's a trip. Cause I'm like 43.4, uh, East Asian and native. Right. Mm-hmm. And so European, I'm 45.5. So I'm almost exactly the same, but Spanish like Iberian Peninsula, mm. I'm only 18. Yeah. And then it's like broadly Southern European is 21%, but that's going to be the Sephardic side because we're not really in these right. things. And I, you know, I have some Ashkenazi, I got yeah. some Northwestern, but the, the thing that really, that, you know, I always stop because I look at my family and I'm like, we got to be Middle Eastern and we don't have that much Middle Eastern. We have way more like West African. Mm-hmm. Like African, I came out to be like 5.5, which is pretty significant, you know. Right. And and uh, I tripped on that, and I had a splash of like of a uh, Oceanian, like which like, oh, wow. like that's hey. I was like, what the fuck? Like that was like, that was the shit that kind of yeah, threw, like yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, that's cool. But yeah, I was like, that's like New Zealand or, or you know down there, Polynesia, yeah, Polynesia, and but everything else was like I was I wasn't surprised. I'm like, yeah, you know, obviously you know African native and. Uh, you know, um, a good amount of, you know, the thing is too, it kind of, it, the DNA test, I don't know if it's the way that they, they set it up, but it kind of supports the theory of like the bearing straight. It does be, it because what they say is, I'm, I'm not saying that I agree with it or not. Like I'm right, always right, constantly right, right. thinking about it, but right. the way that it is, the way that they set it up is east asian and native american are one category right and some of the some some of the samples of both east asian and native are almost identical that they can't tell which one they are mm-hmm. so they put you in a place where like this is this part of here like for sure 33.3 that's my highest one of all yeah. of them. for sure 33.3 is definitely native american and you know like eight percent is either or because they're so close we can't tell right and that's the shit that's like oh fuck like 
did did we come from over there who knows you know right and, and if we did like I, I, i'm like just the even just the the legacy of like asian culture is fucking amazing like i, I would I, I would love to claim that shit. <laughs> fuck yeah dude uh just like the precision and everything you know just the the history that'd be yeah. cool but it you know i don't know for me it's more more than anything it just allows you to geek the fuck out you know yeah yeah and and the trip is too is that like even though like we have two parents and we get 50 percent from each of our parents right and even my brother he gets 50 percent, but he doesn't get the same one you know we're not twins so right he can have a completely different combination and, it, and i don't even know how genetics work but i to me it's like a fucking coin toss man it's random as fuck and it's oh just, yeah it's uh some kind of crazy stuff but it's it's um i like seeing the numbers because it just like i'm a visual person i like looking at things and it's just like i've for the last year or two like a lot of my work has been like kind of reconciling recon what is it how do you say that word sorry i have a hard time pronouncing some word reconsidering reconciliation like oh recon reconciling reconciling sorry yeah. reconciling sorry. um just like that part of who i am like at one point was like a ruthless colonizer you know yeah. and and the way that i make peace with it is like i don't want to in my lifetime i don't want to perpetuate that shit like i don't want to yeah. be a part of that and like and even though and that's what i always say to like you know like earlier we were talking about like white folks like it's not about feeling guilty it's about like don't perpetuate that anymore and i'm in the same boat like i right. I, I have like for sure we all have all mestizos all mexicans we have roots that are like that were fucking colonizers that, yeah. that were fucking ruthless but we yeah what do we do different we don't follow in that legacy we correct that you know right. we try to right like uh i mean like we're like we're talking about privilege we're talking i mean like one of the things that 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 that, that we have is our skin tone like of if course. you go i mean I, I would i tripped out i went to visit oaxaca and uh people are calling me huerito and i'm like oh you know what but it, here it, and it's different yeah it, exactly. like in comparison like the space that you you're taking on like you know yeah you would be exactly. considered lighter skin because they're indigenous communities i mean and uh yeah i mean it's just it's it's a it's, it's crazy when when that shit flips on you you're like on i'm you, the white dude here you know yeah you're the huerito you're the, i think everyone should experience that it's powerful and it's profound and 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 it also makes you when you come back here it kind of checks it checks yeah. you from being like too too aggressive towards other folks you know yeah i mean um that's what it did for me obviously no i mean i i, I agree it kind of i mean it, it, it kind of uh you, you consider the other side <laughs> exactly i mean we're, we're all part of everything man like yeah, it's like definitely and and these ideas of like purity of like more moral uh purity it's like it's such fucking it comes from like catholicism it comes from colonization like i don't i don't know i now i'm like i'm always on the tip where like people are are, are very complex and and they do shit depending on their circumstances and like the sure. point in history yeah you know? i try not to take it personal <laughs> exactly it's hard um, sometimes but you know yeah, I want to kind of we 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 touch so much really deep and like powerful and and sometimes like pretty dark uh, subjects in this in this podcast. I want to end it in a very in somewhat of a light note and sure, and sure. and uh, you know talk about more, your recent work. I wanna I'm just gonna list off some of the stuff that I want to talk about. And I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. cut you loose. Sure, man. I want to talk a little bit about your Viva Bernie uh, signs. Right. I know I saw those everywhere. Uh, I want to talk about your Papel Picado project. Fucking amazing. Everyone loves those. 
And lastly, I want you to tell the story of how you snuck in some political imagery in the Morrissey video for oh, the, for the opening. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're loose, man. I'm loose. Okay. Well, I mean, let's see. Where do we start? There's like a list, right? There's like, yeah, there uh, was the... Uh, there was a, the Viva Bernie. The Viva Bernie. So, I mean, the election came around and it's just kind of like, you know, it's hard not to be a cynic, right? When these oh, things man. come up. Big time. Because, like, that, that's when the Latino vote. That's when Latinos matter, when brown folks matter. Shit, no. The Latino vote. Like, oh, my God, they're going to save us, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, we're on the map, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I never really felt strongly... For any one candidate, like when Obama ran the first time, it was very exciting. It was very momentous. Uh, the second time around, I was kind of like, oh, man, I started like <laughs> having doubts, you know. I mean, I'm not to take away from from like his administration, but there's like some really problematic things. Deportations, down, you know, and drones that, that I don't agree with. And now I see it as kind of like a larger movement to the state that we're in. Right. The Fuck last, yeah, man you know 30 30 years has been kind of like a slow progression to where we're at today but anyways getting to to bernie when bernie sanders started running um for me like i looked at his uh campaign as the closest that we're gonna get at this point in our history to having a, a government that actually you know works for the the the, the well-being of like the you know citizens like you and i you know on this highway in this political high this is far left as we could we're gonna get Within our lifetimes, I think, you know, I, I want to be wrong, but, you know, this is it. This is the guy. He, I mean, the way he ran his campaign, like with, you know, being funded by, by, by money from individuals rather than corporations caught my attention. And, you know, I called him out in the beginning, you know, like, hey, what's your, your immigration policy? What are you going to do for folks in, 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 in communities like mine, like Boyle Heights, you know? That are vulnerable. Yeah. yeah like, what, what's your plan for them? Uh, I wanted to hear that. And. You know, and not not to say that he doesn't have his flaws, but I really did believe that he would have made a great president. So what I did was uh, I started I didn't see a lot of uh, of, of uh, campaign materials targeted towards uh, Spanish speaking folks. So I kind of tapped into the Viva Kennedy campaign uh, when when uh, when John, uh, John F. Kennedy was yeah. uh, running. And I said, well, why not Viva Bernie? So I started printing Viva Bernie posters. I was selling them for a dollar. Um, and most of them I ended up giving away. It was just for the cost of paper. You ever see the Viva Nixon ones? No. <laughs> and it's got like a mariachi. Yeah, it's funny. A mariachi hat? I believe so. Yeah, I might be wrong, but I know I've seen it. But yeah, you start, you, you're printing them out. You were doing them on a... Letterpress. On a letterpress. Yeah, thing. on a letterpress. And letter it was press. all woodcut type? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was uh, linoleum blocks that I cut into letters, and I just started like, you know, having little events, you know, and I started like the diversity within this campaign that made me even more excited, you know, like... There was a scientist from JPL, NASA coming over, people off the yeah. street coming over, uh, uh, AJ, uh, AJ Media, AJ Plus Media came over and did like a little short video. Uh, and uh, yeah, I printed just a ton of those. And it turns out that the original sign was done by a, a, a sign maker out in Kansas, a Hispanic guy. I forgot his name. Um, but the original Viva Kennedy campaign posters were done that way. He identified as Hispanic. Yeah, he did. <laughs> high <laughs> well, I'm Hispanic. Not sure. High Hispanic, right? High Hispanic. Um, but um, no, he. Uh, uh, so I started making these posters and um, they got attention because of that, because they were like it was kind of like self-driven, self-funded. Um, and uh, they, they, they started uh, they started. Uh, they were part of the political landscape for that moment. Right. 
Like my friends were always say, hey, dude, that's one of Danny's posters that he hand pulled out of the out of the letterpress, man. It's oh, yeah. like in this uh, in this rally, and then that's the one guy with the Viva Bernie poster, right? That doesn't look like the regular offset posters from the official campaign. But um, but but yeah, that was. And later people were like, hey, well, did, did you get money from the campaign? And I was like, well, what's up? Are you like an insta? I was like, nah, man, this is like on your own. Yeah, completely on my own and. Uh, on the moment, on the spot, like I made time to do this, and 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 uh, that's usually how my projects are. Yeah. And a lot of times it's anonymous. I got a lot of attention for this one, but I'll do a lot of stuff that no one yeah. no one knows about it unless you're my friend and you kind of like have an eye for like yeah you do so much shit kind of stuff. And I like it to be anonymous. Sometimes sometimes it has to be that way just to shed the ego around the piece, like shed that ego, like oh me as a creator. Like I guess uh, you would call that being an iconoclast. Like just kind of, yeah. you know, yeah, putting it out there. Um, I want to get into that word, high Hispanic. Hispanic. Why oh. is it such a like? I, I I hear that. I'm like, fuck, man. Like it's you know, it, it honors, it tries to honor the European side and like not even Does acknowledge it? the indigenous side. Oh, the term Hispanic. High Hispanic, Hispanic. Uh, high Hispanic, and the way we clown it, we we say high Hispanic to to like I use that all the time just to make <laughs> fun of people that refer to themselves as that. Could, but I know since you're you know you're a historian, man. Could you? Give us some history on the term Hispanic. Well, his Hispanic is a way of describing someone from the Iberian Peninsula, right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me growing up, we would, we, would, we would joke around saying like, oh, well, Hispanic is someone who moved on from Bull Heights to Montebello. <laughs> 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 like, that's that's the goal, right? You, you grow up in like East LA, City Terrace, Lincoln Heights. Yeah, you start moving in the... Once you're in Montebello, you're high Hispanic. Like, high. <laughs> <laughs> or hi you're up there and like we're That's we're trying to make cause... it you know and uh and, and not, not no ill towards people that grew up in uh montebello i mean everyone it's, has it's those this is jokes and it's it's kind of like the goal like my, for my dad like if you can move to montebello it's like oh man you've made it <laughs> but, but what what about the term originally the term... when did it first come up I think it came out around the uh, uh, census, no? Back in the way back in the days, right? Or further back. I think you have more to say than I do about that. Like I, I had, to, or what did you hear? I have uh, I have to brush my my history up on that because my my mentor told me about it, but I don't remember specifically. It was like I think it comes out of like Nuevo Mexico, I believe. Okay. Because you know, there's like a strong uh, Spanish culture in Nuevo Mexico, but yeah. We're gonna have to touch that on a, on another episode. I'm gonna come back with some yeah, uh, man, some knowledge, that's, that's some research. For but you. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's work for me. And if any of the listeners you guys know, reach out and uh, and we'll figure something out. Maybe maybe you come in school school us on the podcast. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. But, and then now, man, the like last year you rocked this amazing papel picado oh, uh, yeah. image, and you you do it traditionally where you oh, you're, yeah, you're using it. a blade and a and a hammer, huh? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, I managed to sharpen my learned to sharpen my blade so I don't use a hammer. I just press down. Sick. And it's I want to I want you to teach me how to do great, that. It's a great it's a great ab workout. I mean, I know you can't tell because I have a keg, not a six pack. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, like when you you just you just press down and and you don't have to like hammer into to you, you got to do a Skillshare with me. I want to oh, do yeah, one. I want to yeah. do one, man. No, no, definitely. Um. So what what ended up what what happened was I did a project in uh, Oxnard. The Carnegie Museum. Uh, uh, they invited me to create an ofrenda in the in in their walkway, and it, and that's a very hip thing to do, right? For like these cultural centers to have ofrendas. Yeah. And coming in to do that, it's like, well, look, if we're gonna do an ofrenda, we're gonna do this this thing that's meant to honor the people who passed on. 
and it's going to be inside this institution, we're not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I'm not going to like shy away from including like, Hey, who are we talking about here? I'm not going to create an ofrenda for the patrons that have like moved on. I want to include the community, which yeah. are farm workers and they deserve a prominent space in this ofrenda because a lot of the farm workers in Oxnard come from Mexico where this tradition is practiced. So I, a big part of it was creating this papel picado that had um, braceros in it that had field workers, farm workers. Uh, farm workers are very present in the ofrenda. And that's the first time that I did the papel picado was to decorate this ofrenda. And I just kind of tried it out. I was like, well, look, I do woodcut. I do lino cut. I have these great tools to what they work doing, papel picado. And then based on trying that out, I was like, hey, you know what? It works pretty well. And then uh, a lot of people gave me a lot of positive feedback about it. And then, you know, I started thinking about it. Like, well, why can't papel picado be a vehicle for for uh, for protest and for bringing awareness? It's such festive looking uh, 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 object. Like within it, you got to realize, like, you know, that, that, you know, and I was also thinking about the, that to a lot of people it looks like a party. Yeah. But it's so it's much remembrance. It's remembrance and, and not, you know, and it's special. Right. So I was thinking about that. So I created this papel picado and I used it as a way uh, to, to raise money uh, for, for nonprofits. And I started uh, creating it around November, I think, of last year. And I kind of had to stop because it was consuming my life. <laughs> but you had like a No Dapple one. Oh, you yeah, had, had a, no a Black Lives Matter one. Yeah, that's right. And that's what I love about it because you look at it and it just looks fun. These, these like, right. you know, hot pink and it's really bright magentas right. and like blues and, you know, lime greens. Yeah. And, you, and you're like, oh, this just feels good. And you look at it and you're like, oh, shit, it's telling me a message, you know. Right. And it, they're all connected by a string. And for me, I mean, that th there's a lot of symbolism. Like each one is, a, is its own. It, each one seems separate, but they're all connected. They're yeah. all connected by this, like by by one strand. They're all connected. They're all side by side, and they're all connected by like this one string. And I think it's the same uh, within uh, within these movements. We got to realize that uh, although it looks like each one of these uh, the, these these movements is separate, like they all have a, a thing in common. We're and all the string is uh, is white to say that it stems from white supremacy. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're getting too deep. You're getting I'm too just, deep. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> no, that they're all interconnected. You I know, know? I and know. that is one of the big lessons of like doing this project and, and, and with El Hijo de la Guisote was realized because, you know, you go out to protest and you get, I'm handing out this newspaper and then people like turn around and ask me, I was like, dude, things aren't so great in your country. Like police are killing folks. Well, Ferguson like that was in people's minds in Mexico so they turned it around on me and you're like thinking like wow like all these things are interconnected of course so when I looked at that object it's like that expresses the interconnectivity between these movements in a very poetic way um, and it draws attention and it becomes a desirable object and then the the way that uh, the funds are being used to make you know to 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 help these movements exist and continue their good work I don't want to profit you know you know, I gotta, I have to make a living, but I could yeah. do half. I could give what the gallery takes back rather than having it feed the, a white box. You know, yeah. for me, that's the kind of work that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in doing. And I, I, I keep it in my mind, you know, moving forward. So one of these, pro this project actually is really a successful project and I'd love to do more, but again, man, I don't sleep much as it is. Yeah, man. <laughs> and, but I, I looked at it again. My friend brought it to my attention. My friend Neza last night brought it to my attention. She sent me the articles that, that Remezcla did about the papel, the papel picado. And I looked at him. I was like, you know what? 
I would love to like do another run and add maybe another panel to it. You know, the last one that it did was Amores, Amores, Amor, and and this was in the in the light of the uh, the the shootings that happened and the shooting that happened in Miami. Yeah, that's club. right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more that could be added into that strand. Um, but uh, but yeah, I would love to like revisit that project and expand on it. Um, yeah. And then you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I wanted to. We'll end on the on, on how you ended up working for for uh, Morrissey and and how that uh, and you ended up sneaking the. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll let you tell the story. <laughs> so, uh, uh, if you guys know me, uh, I'm a big uh, I'm a big Morrissey fan. I'm unapologetically. I'm, I'm a big Smith fan. Smith. Yeah. I, I like both, man. I like both. I, there's bigger fans than you know than than me out there, but I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan. Uh, and like I mentioned before, like uh, I love the guy's music. You know, it says some problematic things like any, 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 you know, any other person, you know, and I don't, and I don't condone those, but I, I do enjoy his, uh, I enjoy his music, you know, good music, <laughs> good music. <laughs> and, you know, it, and it's a, a lot to consider, you know, as far as like masculinity and is involved, yeah, like huh? when, the older I get, the more there is to consider like, well, why? Why did it was I attracted so much to 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 that genre? To, Mexicans well, and Chicanos, we love Morrissey, man. We love fucking the Smiths, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's I was, it's, it's big in our community. Yeah, it is big in our community, but I think our community is Chicanos and Mexicans. But you know what I'm saying, like. Uh, yeah, no, I'm saying, but it's big to to yeah. in our community. Oh yeah, I mean, he's like uh, he's the an uh, English speaking Juanga, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Juanga's, I mean. That's it the, doesn't hold a the candle to Wanga, right but he's in the same wavelength. <laughs> but he's got that same kind of like, you know, it's 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 sorrow, the same sorrow you hear in like uh in a Vicente Fernandez song, yeah. like you oh, hear yeah, that yeah, in yeah. A, in a Morris in a Smith's track. Well, yeah, yeah, like the uh, the same uh, tragic romance, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> all those all those all those awkward feelings, right? So you were working on uh what yeah. did, what were you work what did they hire you for? So uh uh the Santa Barbara Bowl hired me to do the the Dia de Muertos poster had done it the year previous and it was a big hit and they liked it. And then that year they, they started working on um, on the, the programming for uh, the, the Santa Barbara Bowl 2016 um, and the, the, their Dia de Muertos uh, concert. And uh, it was, uh, it, I, I, was, I was really, good. I'm good friends with the producer that used to, that was putting on that show. And she, uh, she was telling me about, you know, planning the show. And I told her, like, hey, you know, if you could get Morrissey, you know, you'd sell that show out like, like, hot. and she's like, well, I don't know if we can. I was like, dude, I know you considered it. I know it's been an idea. Like, what if you tried? And then she tried and talks happened. And then by July of 2016, like we heard that he signed up. Damn. And that was for me. I was like, oh, man, I'm creating a poster for the bowl for a Morrissey concert. I was like, for me, it was like a dream come true. But I was like. You know, I was like, man, you gotta, you gotta go in deep. You can't just like make a pretty picture. It has to say something. So uh, I created the poster using. Uh, I couldn't use his face. They didn't let me use like a likeness of him. So I started looking at like the 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 kind of um, the films that he likes. You know, like uh, the Wild Ones and Rebel Without a Cause and those figures, and then stripping the flesh off of them and creating them into calaveras. But then if you look at the poster, if you look at the graphics for the poster, the it's a scene from the wild ones. But if you look at their hands, they're holding Guy Fox masks. And Guy Fox uh, was uh, uh, the guy who tried to blow up uh, the House of Commons. And you have that famous quote that's been made 
famous by the movie V's for Vendetta, right? Remember, remember the 5th of November? Well, the concert fell on Guy Fox Day. So that was kind of like, you know, aligning, kind of lining up these two things. The other Muertos, Guy Fox Day, Morrissey, and then the political climate at the time. You know, this is right before the election. So the, the whole concert, the whole field was like super charged. It was in the middle also of uh, North Dakota of Standing Rock, yeah. you know, of uh, the, 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 uh, the No Dappled um, uh, uh, movement, resistance, the resistance. Yeah. And uh, so um, I created the poster. They approved it. They started using it for like the, the campaign promo. promo huh? and, uh, and then the, uh, the producer's like, hey, you know, like, like a couple of days before the concert or a couple of days before... Yeah, a couple of days before concert, she like realized that she didn't have any graphics to kind of throw on the stage. The visuals, the like, videos. Yeah. yeah. So I gave her some of my graphics and then she tells me, hey, you know what? I don't have a video between the headliner and the band that just plays. So it's just going to be like three minutes of silence or like a few minutes of silence. Like, do you want to create something? And I was like, well, do I ever? <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of like, well, look, dude, I'm great. Like motion graphics is a lot. is very time consuming and you're not going to pay me. I know you're not going to pay me. Like yeah. this is like a freebie, but I'll do it. But you got to let me do what I do. It's just like, <laughs> uh, I don't know, dude. I was like, look, you know my politics. Yeah. And you know that I'm not going to throw you under the bus. Exactly. Can you just trust me? And she's like, okay. Yeah. Well, here's the, the engineer's, um, uh, 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 contact info, arrange it with him for like the, the, the format and the file format and the size and all that. And he'll double check your file. You're going to use the house system, but the sound and the visuals. I was like, dude, no way. Really? I'm going to project something on that. So I was like, sold out concert, 5,000 people. And, uh, that's where you came in. I hit you up. I was like, dude, send me a file of the mini Wichoni uh, buffalo. A buffalo poster that you created for Standing Rock, and you're like, okay, man, like you got it. And then you use the tribe called Red. Tribe, tribe called Red. Stadium, Stadium yeah. Powwow. Oh, I checked yeah. with Joel, and you know, all the crew, right? And they're there. Like, I was like, hey, man, is it cool? Like, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I'm not getting paid for this. Oh, they love it. Like, man. I, I wanna, I wanna put it out there. So, uh, uh, I was, uh, I created this visual, and uh, I'll throw it up. I'll throw it on my Facebook again. I'll throw it up. I'll dig it and up. And on your Insta too. Huh? On my Insta and, and for you guys to look at. But it's like a, it's two minutes. And it's funny because my little brother was there. And I had just arrived. And I was actually in the terrace. I wasn't even inside the... Oh, shit. Yeah, but my brother got footage of people's reaction <laughs> reaction to people it. People were like screaming. Oh, yeah, shit, once huh? they got it because it's kind of confusing. And you'll see it. It's, 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 I'm not going to describe it's, it's it to you. Because it's zooming out first. Right? Yeah. It's, it's zoomed in first. Zoomed right? in, yeah. So... uh I got to hear this, the, the, the reaction from the terrace, from where the ofrendas were at. And then my little brother got, my little brother David got uh, footage of people's reaction to it. And then Morrissey came out and was like, hey, I want to dedicate this show to the people of North Dakota. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that because I, I started getting text messages from a bunch of people. They're oh, like, yeah. dude, like they just played. And I had no idea. And you had asked me for the image, but I didn't know what oh, you were going to do. Quick run, run, but it was turnaround. dope, though, because yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a surprise because... I, I trust you, man. I was like, here's my files. Don't even worry about it. And then, and then I get start getting these videos, yeah. and I'm like, oh shit, that's what fucking Daniel did. Holy fuck! And I yeah. was, I was mind blown, man. That was fucking so cool. And I don't, I think I was here working, but um, hey, man, thank you so much for sharing all your no, knowledge, your oh, experiences, man, no and uh, before we go, a uh, quick plug. What are, what's your website? Your, your Instagram, Facebook. Sure. Well, if you allow me to, I'll, uh, let me just share like one of the project, well, big project that, that, that I've been kind of working on and, and completing. 
I'm doing uh, illustrations for a modern retelling of Huckleberry Finn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called The Ballad of Huck and Miguel by Tim DeRoche. Um, and I'll be illust- it's going to be uh, out and uh, published uh, by the end of the year. Well, when you when it comes out, come back. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we'll, we'll do a whole thing so, about that. Yeah, my Instagram is Print Gonzalez and uh, Facebook as well, Print Gonzalez, like slash Print Gonzalez. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, thank you for having me on. And I just want to remind people that history is just a bunch of cheesemas retold over and over again. Exactly. So man. double check my facts and, like, Google that stuff and do your own research. And uh, don't trust what anyone tells you. You go out and read it and find out on your own, man. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much, brother. No problem, Ernesto. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. We hope that it was informative and entertaining. Please support this podcast by telling your friends about it and sharing on social media. Thank you to Eduardo Arenas for letting us use the song Malacostumbrada off his album Nariz as our theme song. Thank you and stay tuned.